get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He is a very good number two starter. He's got Longoria. 0-2, and, and that one right there. Longoria got caught guessing. 1-2 and two from Nola, and that one's in there. A cold strike three. Comeback sinker by Nola. It had so much movement. That ball started six inches outside, but had such great movement to hit the top of that strike zone. Oh. He buckled him. Nola locked him up. His sixth strikeout. He's had three postseason Robert he's 3-0 with an 0-9-6 ERA he and Jordan Montgomery have made themselves a boatload of money two yeah. guys that are free agents to yeah. me I can't see how the Phillies let this guy get away they have to resign him that audio courtesy of MLB Network yesterday Aaron Nola takes the mound shoves once again six scoreless for the Phillies last night Alex any of the questions that existed about Aaron Nola and his up and down season this year they have been answered to the nth degree the guy has shut down everybody he's gone up against thus far in the postseason with Alex and T-Bone on BK you're listening to BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN it is Aaron Nola hour of course as it is each and every day here on BK and Ferrario Alex, I've wavered. I've gone up and down. I've been all over the place with Nola so far this year. I've compared him to Patrick Corbin. I've compared him to uh, Miles Michaelis. I've also said he's the number one candidate that you should be going out to acquire this offseason. Just say you've been flippy floppy, and I've been the one that's been all day, every day. Aaron Nola is my god. When did you compare him to Patrick Corbin? Uh, This was like a month and a half ago. didn't compare him to Patrick Corbin. I I don't remember that. I hope I destroyed you when you made that comment. Patrick Corbin No, you agreed. Go look at Patrick Corbin's number. Uh-huh. prior to his contract and then you go tell me where you think he was Look. at that yeah uh-huh. we wouldn't we didn't have the same conversations about corbin prior to his uh contract in washington Aaron is my everything right and you keep your blasphemy away my final no questions asked no reservations opinion on this is very simple Aaron Nola has proven everything you need to see from him he is the number one target going into the offseason i've seen all i need to see No further questions, Your Honor. For me, the case is closed. That man is the number one target for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, the problem is he's going to be the number one target for the Dodgers, for the Braves, for the Mets, for the Yankees. Everybody is going to want Aaron Nola. And there's a good reason for that. The dude is an innings eater. He is as durable as anybody has been in, in Major League Baseball for close to a decade now. And now we're seeing him do it on the biggest stage possible. He looks like an ace. This is what they look like, man. 6'5", doesn't throw super hard, but gets a bunch of strikeouts, striking out a batter per inning so far in this postseason, and gets you deep into games in the postseason. This is the guy that the Cardinals are looking for. Yeah, I mean, this is why I've always liked the Aaron Nola side of it. And again, the narrative I had, which was incorrect at the time, that he was a playoff performer. But the one thing that I know about Aaron Nola is he's always available. And he does perform in the regular season, despite what this up and down year was. 
But this this should have solidified everything the Cardinals fans needed to see because what do you want most out of the, the pitcher that you're going after? Somebody who can pitch in the postseason and can give you quality starts and like be the lockdown guy. Well, he's doing that. And you can't use the, oh, well, he did it against the Miami Marlins that T-Bone used at the beginning, which is fair because Miami's offense wasn't good. But now he did it against Atlanta, and he just shut down an Arizona Diamondbacks team that I think a lot of people were super high on their offense. So the strikeouts are there. He's still giving you five or six innings. The hits are low. And I really don't know what else you can ask for out nothing. of this. Yeah. Literally nothing. You cannot ask for anything more. Because the Blake Snell side of it where it's like, well, Blake Snell's a better pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. But right now I'm seeing Aaron Nola on a big stage. Yamamoto, I'd love to have Yamamoto because of the age. But I haven't seen Yamamoto pitch over in North America. I have fewer questions about Aaron Nola than I do any of the other pitchers that you could throw my way. Like he just checks every single box. Strikeouts, he's got them. Maybe not to the same degree as Blake Snell, but he's got it. Going deep into games, check. Check that box off in a way that you can't with any other starter that is going to be available this offseason. Durability, check. Strike, swing and miss stuff, check. Like everything you want to throw at me. You got questions about Blake Snell in terms of his long-term availability, the fact that he doesn't go deep into games. Those are fair. You got long-term reservations about the fact that um, you could go up there and get a Sonny Gray. He's 34 years old next year. I get that. That's a fa- that's a fair question about him and whether or not he's going to age super gracefully. It's a little smaller as well. Like there's there's legitimate concerns there. Even if I will write them off, I don't know what the legitimate concern is right now about Aaron Nola. Prior to this postseason, prior to him getting back on track the last month of the regular season, there were fair questions. Is he starting to hit, hit his decline phase? I thought that was a reasonable question to ask. Now that we've seen it for two months at the end of the season, I don't think it's even a fair question anymore. That guy is the dude. Yeah, I mean, when you're holding three teams to a 182 batting average against and three starts in the postseason and an ERA under one, yeah, that's legit. Like, he's whatever it was that he did in season to fix his mechanics to get everything back on track, it's worked. And I, I think you're right. It's tough to find a question mark on Aaron Nola. Because if you just want to say, well, he's pitched a lot of innings over the last couple of years, and that means he's probably going to break. He can't operate under that any kind of assumption. That's not even a question mark on him. I so, can use that for every pitcher, too. Exactly. I, I don't know if there's a question mark on him. He should be near the top of the list for the St. Louis Cardinals, if not the number one target for the St. Louis Cardinals this offseason. Forget the qualifying offer he's going to receive from the Phillies. Yeah. It's, well, it, it's worth giving up a draft pick to go get this guy. So this comes from a piece earlier today over on The Athletic by Jason Stark. According to his research team, only six starting pitchers have thrown more postseason starts like Aaron Nola has this postseason. He's referencing six innings, no earned runs over their entire careers. Nola's done this in one postseason. These are the guys that have done it in their entire careers. Six innings, no earned runs. Madison Bumgarner, Tom Glavin, Justin Verlander, Andy Pettit, Clayton Kershaw, John Smoltz. I don't want any of those guys. It's the entire list of dudes that have done in their careers what Nola has done this year in the playoffs. It's amazing. It's absolutely incredible what we're seeing from him so far. And if he continues going like this, he's going to continue making himself more and more money. And that's where the the conversation in my mind gets more interesting. It's easy for all of us to say, yeah, go get him. Go get Aaron Nola. Let's get him. He's coming to St. Louis. He's coming to the Lou. He's coming to the Lou. All right, man. You're not going to make him want to come here because you're making it awkward. Here's the problem. 
That was embarrassing. You have to give him all of the money. Very And I'm talking like back up the Brinks truck type of money. Here's the morning show talking about what they're willing to get for Noah. He was looking for eight years, 200 million plus, while the Phillies were looking for around more four to five years. If the Cardinals hear that, are you matching that? Are you saying, okay, we'll give you the eight years, 200 million plus? I don't think they will. I think in the current, and normally I've been pretty much in sync with the Cardinals thinking. I think this is different. I think right now, this year, what they're coming off of, what their competition is in town, eight years and $200 million is on the table for Aaron Nola. you you got to jump all over that. If you can get him for $25 million a year for eight years, and I know he's 30 years old, you I got to take I don't think that's the number, though. I, I, think, I think it's greater than that, too. I, mm-hmm. Definitely. I don't. I don't think he's going to get more than $200 million. I, I think, think he's going to try for two hundred and fifty, but it's not going to happen. I think his number is right around there. I Just look. Guys, look at the number of pitchers that are making more than that, like in baseball history. It's not a long list. And most of them, while I love Aaron Nola, most of them are like Max Scherzer level starters. So the idea of him getting more than 200 million, it's possible, I suppose. I would just be a little surprised if it's out there for him. I think the interesting part of this is the eight years, because that is something that the Cardinals have been completely unwilling to do in previous iterations of their franchise. It's also something that a lot of teams around Major League Baseball have become more accustomed to. You look at what the Phillies did with Bryce Harper. Hey, 13 years, let's do it. You look at what the the Padres did last offseason when they got Xander Bogarts. 11 years is what they were willing to go there. What the Phillies were willing to do for Trey Turner. What was it, 11 years, I believe it was for him. Let's go ahead and get that average annual value down, and we'll give you more years. We understand at the back end of this deal, it's going to be really bad for us, but... We're counting on the first eight years being very good. So last three, whatever, we'll eat the money. I do wonder if the Cardinals would be willing to do that on a pitcher because it helps them have a little more flexibility going into this offseason. If you're willing to do this, more years, fewer dollars over each individual season, you could reasonably go out there and get both Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray. This is how you make that happen. Maybe instead of going three years for Sonny Gray, you go four years. So instead of giving him 20 mil per year, you give him 15. And on Aaron Nola, instead of giving him $30 million per year, you're giving him $25 million per year. Let's stick with Nola here. Eight years, $200 million. Alex, it's a ton of money. And more importantly, it's a lot of years. How far is too far for you to go for Aaron Nola? I would say beyond that. Eight years, 200 mil would be my puke point. And I think I would be fine with it. I, it sucks because year seven, let's be real, six, seven, and eight, because pitchers seem to age faster than position players, probably isn't going to be pretty. But I'm signing this guy because years one through five, you're helping me compete for a World Series. And that's where, I mean, that's Major League Baseball right now. That's what the contenders do. I think we're seeing it where teams have to, Teams have to overpay for certain players to get to that spot if you don't have the development in your system. So for Aaron Nola, yeah, eight years, 200 mil. I can cut down that AAV. I can spend that elsewhere to make my team still dominant. And I'm getting a pretty legit pitcher. Yeah, I I would not do eight years for Aaron Nola. It's too long for me. It's too long of a deal. And I understand what you're saying of driving down that AAV. He breaks year one. He breaks year two you're stuck with that for six more years. Like I think five, six years is like where I'm willing to go max. And I'm willing to pay more on the AAV side. 
I don't want to. I don't want to hand out an eight-year deal to a pitcher. He's not. He's not a Garrett Cole. He's not a Max Scherzer that deserve an eight-year deal. And that's not saying he doesn't deserve the money he's going to get this offseason. But he's not those guys. When I think eight-year deal, I'm thinking the best of the best in Major League Baseball. He's not there. I, I would go five, six years and like one sixty to one eighty is kind of what I'm thinking. The entire list of pitchers currently on an eight-year plus deal. Garrett Cole, Kinta Maeda. Now, Maeda signed it at age 27. He came over and got the long-term deal. And it's not big-time money. It's not the kind of contract that we're talking about here. It's basically Garrett Cole. So you'd be doing something that is almost unprecedented, at least in recent iterations of Major League Baseball. In terms of AAV, guys that are making more than $25 million per year, Carlos Rodon, Chris Sale, Shohei Otani, Steven Strasburg, Garrett Cole, Jacob DeGrom, Justin Verlander, and Max Scherzer. There are eight of them currently making at least $25 million per year among the starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. So you are making him a top 10 highest paid pitcher in Major League Baseball, and you would be making him a guy that has a longer term deal than all but basically one pitcher in Major League Baseball. This is the kind of precedent setting contracts that the Cardinals have been incredibly unlikely to do in previous years. And on our text line, everybody's basically coming at us with the same thing. Guys, why are you even talking about this? We know Mo's not going to go out there and give him all of this kind of money. I think you should. I do. I I would do it. Now, it's freaking terrifying, and it could go horribly wrong for you. But guess what? Not doing it could also go horribly wrong for you next year. The inverse of this decision is going back through potentially what we've been through over the past few seasons. At some point, you got to get the talent and what it takes to be able to get talent in this version of the offseason is going years. It it is years that you have to throw at players now. Trey Turner wanted years. Xander Bogarts wanted years. This year, when you go to the market, guess what? Guys are going to want long-term financial stability. And if you want to go get Aaron Nola, it's going to cost you 25 plus million dollars per year, probably more than that. And if you want Nola and you really want to make him come here early on in the offseason, so that way you could get things in place before you have to make some of your other roster decisions, the way to do that is by giving him the extra year or two on that contract. That contract, if you give to Aaron Nola, is the sign of a desperate team. And guess what the Cardinals are? A desperate team to find some type of talent at the top end of the rotation. And for those that say, I can't give him that, why would you give him that even if the Cardinals were willing to? Because you want Blake Snell, probably gonna have to pay more than two hundred plus million to get him year. Yeah, let's it's it's less years, but you're also taking the risk of a lefty that's got swing and miss stuff to break. You don't want to spend. Also, I'm not sure it's gonna be fewer years on Blake Snell. I think somebody might be willing to go out of their range for him too. And you don't want to spend money that type of money. Well, then settle for Sonny Gray as the number one pitcher you're going to get. Exactly. And if you don't want to do any of that, if I say, well, I'm gonna make a trade to get my cost controlled top pitcher. Cool. Then suffer the consequences of trading Nolan Gorman. This is the thing that I find really funny about this fan base sometimes. And it's not just Cardinals fans. This is everywhere. This is baseball fans in general right now. We got to get an ace. We got to get an ace. We got an ace. But not that much. Don't don't give him that much. We got to get an ace. We got to get an ace. We got to get. But don't trade that. We got to give an ace for us to trade Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill. That's how we get our ace. Exactly. Hey, guys, this is the cost of doing business. If you don't develop your own ace, you got to give up crazy amounts of money or crazy amounts of talent. There is no other option. That's it. Or I guess you could do the alternative. Just go into the season next year without having to do that you want starting on opening day. Those are your three paths going into this offseason. It's going to make you sick no matter which path you choose. If you choose the path of trading Nolan Gorman plus more, 
That might suck because next year you go into the playoffs and you're thinking to yourself, all right, this is the year. And then you get into the postseason and you don't have any left-handed thump in your lineup and now you're screwed because, as we talked about, left-handed thump is what wins in the postseason. Maybe you go the, the money route. Well, it didn't work out for us. Our guy's not as good as we expected. Sorry. Vim's the break sometimes you didn't when you want go to, spend to the free the money. market. Maybe you go to the third route. You don't bring anybody in. Well, now you're screwed. And everybody's sick and tired of Mo once again because he didn't go out there and make the necessary moves. It's going to hurt. This offseason should hurt because pain is what is required after you fail to develop internally the type of pitching that you need. This offseason, it is a pass-fail test, and the starting point is with Aaron Nola. See, I, I agree. Pain is it's going to cost them pain because they put themselves in the position. It shouldn't put them to go above and beyond for Nola, though. Like as much as I like Nola as a target, I'm not extending myself and overpaying him and overgiving him. I don't years. think this is overpaying. I I think it's too much for him. I I would not. I don't think baseball is going to give him eight years. I I don't. It's not about the years though. It's about the total. Do you well, think? I do you think baseball is giving him two hundred million dollars? Yes, but I don't think it's going to be eight years. I think Why it's does it be matter? Six. Because I don't want to give a pitcher eight year contract. I want. It's the I same like amount six. of money. If it I'm it allows a, you I'm more flexibility. Years, I'm going to Yamamoto. I'm going younger on a but pitcher. My, but you don't know what Yamamoto is in Major League Baseball. Yeah, but I don't. I think forget. The money, forget the. I think baseball is going to overvalue Nola this offseason. Set and that it's aside be an for just a second. Then that's the conversation, really. What you're really saying is that you think Aaron Nola is overvalued because $200 million, whether you give it out over six years or eight years, doesn't matter. The truth is, the $200 million being paid out over more years actually allows the Cardinals more flexibility because it allows them this offseason to go get another starter. If they give the same amount of money in terms of the overall over outlay, over six years, you're giving him $35 million per season. Now you can no longer go out there and get that number two starter for $20 million-ish per year. Instead of being able to go out and get Sonny Gray and Aranola, now we're talking about taking another teardrop down. Now you're in the $10 million per year starting market for that number two starter or trading for that number two starter. If you give him more years and you allow that to be leveled out over more seasons, you have essentially taken, you know, $50 million from that six-year stretch and put it at the back end so that way you can utilize that $50 million as flexibility in the first six years of the contract. That's what you're trying to accomplish here. So for me, if you're giving him $200 million, you're giving him $200 million. It's going to hurt, and it probably is going to go bad at the back end of either a six-year deal or an eight-year deal. I want the flexibility to then go out and add even more talent to my current roster where I'm trying to win right now. If you're not willing to do that, I totally get it. But then it's just become a conversation of, I don't think Aaron Nola is worth $200 million as opposed to the eight years versus six. He, he's a $160, $180 million pitcher. Totally fair. If you're going six, eight years, what? I still prefer less years. I, I don't care what you say. I I, I want less years on an arm. Um, but he's a $160, $170 million pitcher. In baseball, the Cardinals can't jump the market and overpay pay him. If you're going to give out six, eight years and $200 million, it goes to Yamamoto. I, I think Snell's the guy. Like I think there's enough risk on Snell that I wouldn't say go to 200 mil. Wouldn't give him eight, six years. I think five years is what you're looking at on Snell. I think if you're going with the idea of we got to pay Nola because we desperately need pitching, I think you're desperately putting you in a spot to where you could potentially hurt your team in the long run. And I think it is best to go with Sonny Gray and then trade for a starter or sign Sonny Gray and sign Yamamoto because he's younger and it's going to cost. It's going to cost money, but I think he's going to be worth the money. Love the take. After we get through the World Series, we'll go through our uh, off-season choose-your-own-adventure. There are so many different iterations of what this off-season could look like for the Cardinals, and it all starts with who's the number one guy that you acquire. 
Whoever you get as that number one starter for you, it changes everything else that you're able to do all offseason long. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we got to get into the Blues because there was a big story on their first round pick that came out earlier today. We'll give you the latest on Dalivor Dvorsky. And if you're a fan, well, I think this actually might be a good thing for you as a viewer. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters. But Alex, there was a big news story that came out earlier this morning uh, from Sweden. If you've been paying attention to Dalibor Dvorsky's season so far with his uh, Swedish Hockey League team, it has not been going particularly well. No bueno. Over the last couple of games, he's played a total of four minutes of ice time. He was basically serving as the 13th forward at this point for them. He's 10 games into the season, and this morning it was announced he's going to part ways with his Swedish team. I think it was a mutual parting of ways is the way that it was phrased. Some would say they divorced. He's been sitting on that all morning, and yeah. I got to say, I actually, it was worth the wait. <laughs> I have been waiting for that one. I've learned to not say it in the office because I don't get your your better reaction, and I appreciate Tanner's reaction. That was great. That was no. really good. It was really excellent. Is Ryder laughing behind me? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He, he clapped. I saw him clap behind you. I mean, it was, it was really well done. The timing of it, but just letting it sit, it, it was well done. All right, Thanks, so buddy. they... They got a divorce, divorce ski, if you will, uh, between he and his Swedish team. I need to have another kid. I wonder if they, like, power up the more kids you have. No, they get worse. That's the problem. So he's coming back over to North America, and he's going to be playing in the OHL. Alex, the way that this worked, at least based on all of the reporting that's been done today, the Sudbury Wolves, who are one of the best teams in the OHL right now, they had his rights, his contractual rights. So he's going to be going to play for Sudbury in the OHL Alex, as a fan, this is nothing to suggest of, like, as a media expert or anything. Hey, man, as a fan of the Blues, I like this because it allows us to have a little bit more historical data on what other players have done in the OHL at a similar age range. And we can compare some of those numbers, some of that performance, to what we're going to see this year from Dalibor Dvorsky. And it allows us a little bit more of an example of what we should be expecting of him, both in the short and the long term. So I, I personally... I'm really excited about this. I would imagine for Dvorsky, it, it's disappointing because he's not playing in his home country of Sweden, but he's going to get a lot more ice time and he's going to be going up against people that are, you know, in the same age range now. Isn't yeah. It? And I think it's, it's important for people to understand the reason that he was playing in the Swedish ho- uh, um, hockey league or the, the top, the best of the best over in Sweden was because he dominated the junior side of it over in Sweden. This was the next step that the Blues thought was best to develop him. Now, they could have sent him to the OHL to start the season, but they opted to send him to the Swedish Hockey League. He felt like it was the better decision. I think I remember him telling us this in Nashville when we spoke to him, T-Bone, that you know he wanted to play against the 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 best of the yeah. best over there so you can get a grapple on your game. Well, now he knows. And look, I don't think it was more of he wasn't playing well and they said, well, screw this. He wasn't getting ice time. The way that the Swedish Hockey League work, at least from my understanding, I never played over there, but 
What? I know. Surprise, surprise. Like, th- this is a league that you have guys that decide not to go to North America, um, players that have not gotten jobs in North America. They go here. It's just like a KHL. You go here because you can compete at the top level of your game so that if other teams see you, they bring you back overseas to compete at the NHL level. He was an 18-year-old playing with guys that are 31 years old that are getting top-line minutes. So if you're Dvorsky, they don't care over in the Swedish Hockey League about your development. They want to win. And so he wasn't getting ice time. And when he was getting ice time, it was like minute and 43 in games, and it wasn't working for him. So he probably viewed it just as much as the Swedish Hockey League say, hey, it's not best for us to go to the OHL. And and I went back and looked at this, guys, at least for the last five years. The only players that like have played in the Swedish Hockey League that were like top draft picks, they eventually went back to junior hockey because you can acclimate to the North American style faster. You're on the same wavelength as these younger players. You develop faster in this in this space. So this was probably partially Swedish Hockey League looking at it as, hey, it's just not working. But this was also Dvorsky and his side and the Blues saying, this is much better for you to go to juniors, play with guys that are 18 and 19 years old, play top-line minutes, and then guess what? Because he's on an entry-level contract, when the OHL season ends, he gets to play the remainder of the season with the American Hockey League team, some postseason action. So as bad as it sounds that they cut ties with Dalibor Dvorsky, this is actually good for his development. It could be. It could be. And now it, it could be a situation where, hey, he just was completely unprepared to play in the men's league. And it's going to take a little longer than maybe a lot of us expected for him to be ready to play in the NHL. And maybe this is the first sign of that. Like we may look back, Alex, five years from now and say we should have known. Should have known all along that it's probably was going to take a lot longer than what we expected the night that he was drafted. But as of today, I don't feel comfortable saying that at all. As of today, the only thing that I can say is didn't work there. Let's see what it looks like in the OHL. It's entirely possible he goes here and maybe doesn't dominate, but plays really well. Puts up representative points and looks like a what a top 10 pick should be yep. in the OHL. So we'll see what it ends up looking like. I will certainly be listening during intermissions as we get updates from Alex Ferrario uh, during the Blues games this season on what we can expect and what we see from Dalibor Dvorsky. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you guys have any questions. You can also get your questions in on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL is where you can go to find our stream. The studio cams are presented by the Air Alliance team. But coming up next, it's time for some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with this, guys. I think that one of the biggest storylines over the next two weeks is what's going to happen with Kirk Cousins. 
The Vikings are an absolute mess. Justin Jefferson is out for the foreseeable future. That team is going nowhere fast. Kirk Cousins is on the final year of his contract in Minnesota. Final guaranteed year of his contract. Alex, there's a lot of talk on, hey, do they they trade him at the deadline? Well, there were multiple reports on Sunday that he is unwilling as of today to waive his no-trade clause, which he has in his contract. We went through this here in St. Louis. Blues wanted to trade Tory Krug. He said, I don't want to be dealt to Philadelphia, though. So they couldn't deal him. So the same thing is true, potentially, for the Minnesota Vikings with Kirk Cousins. Alex, do you think that changes between now and the end of the month? Do you think he's going to be open to the idea of playing elsewhere by November 1st? Man, if it was any other quarterback, I'd say, yeah, but Kirk Cousins seems like the guy that's like, no, I'm good. Like, man, we got a we got an okay team. Things just didn't go well for us, and my family's in its place. And I don't think there's anything wrong with him feeling that way. Yeah. I, I think he's just fine where it is. And maybe you wait to the off season so you can reassess, and then you can pick your family up in the middle of the season. So no, I I originally thought that he would, but it, it just seems the personality of Kirk Cousins like more and more. Uh, what was the Netflix documentary that he was a part of? Quarterback, quarterback. Yeah, like. He just seems like he's more about his family than football, which is a good thing. And if that's him, nah, I'll stay put. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. After watching that quarterback documentary series, I, I can't see where he just now changes his mind. Because I think he is family first. I think his family seems happy in Minnesota. And he wants to keep him there. And like you said, you can kind of then reassess things in the offseason. Because for all he knows, if the Jets say it's the Jets that trade for him, he's a, he's a one-year rental. Yeah. And then he's got to move everybody again at the end of the season. So... I, I think he's not going to wave it. I think he's going to stay put in Minnesota. I think so, too. I don't think this is going to change. I, I think there's a lot of teams that would like him to wave the no trade clause. If you're Atlanta, oh, dude, my God. Oh, my God. Be please, begging you. Please wave that no trade clause. If you're the Jets, we're a real contender with Kirk Cousins on our team, man. He's not the perfect quarterback, but he's pretty darn good. Now, if you're Atlanta, though. I could see him waving a trade there because if you're Kirk Cousins, you go to Atlanta, you're probably going to be there for the next few seasons. See, I think if I'm Kirk Cousins, I'm not moving in season. Got kids. Oh, I'm with you. They're in school. My wife's here. I'm happy. But if I want to compete and I want to compete right away and know that I've got security where I'm at, Atlanta might be the best spot to go. But he can, if I'm Kirk Cousins and just to play devil's advocate, I would say the opposite. I would say, if I want to go to Atlanta, man, that opportunity is going to be there for me in May. Unless they they have a bad season and draft somebody. Fine. Then I'll go somewhere well, else. If yeah. you want to make things more interesting, you know where his wife's from? I just looked this up because I was curious. Creep. Georgia. Oh, really? There you go. Yeah. Well, then Atlanta's where he's going. Maybe Atlanta's yeah. where he's going. <laughs> well, and I know he I know in the offseason because my wife and I go here all the time uh in, in our for our summer vacation. He he goes for vacation in the summer. He's got a house in um where Michigan? we go in Michigan. Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, deaths. No, I doesn't matter. Regardless, it's a up in, in Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, it's up in Michigan where he vacations. So what you're saying is he's the next Chicago Bears quarterback? Or Detroit. Well, they've got their game. No, Jared Goff stinks, right? As we continue with some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Another team that I'm going to be looking at as we get closer to the trade deadline is the Tennessee Titans. I don't know how much you guys saw of Malik Willis on Sunday. That guy is horrible. Oh, and so I mean. Horrible. Ryan Tannehill is expected to be out for a little while. Is it time for them to start taking calls on Derrick Henry and DeAndre Hopkins? I know Derrick Henry is like the face of the franchise, and I get it, man. It's hard to trade guys like that. But at a certain point in time, don't you have to just acknowledge the obvious, which is this team isn't competing for anything meaningful, and it's going to be a hard rebuild before we get back to that. And by that point, Derrick Henry's probably not going to be in his prime. 
Isn't it time? Yeah. If I'm Derrick Henry, I'm saying trade me because I want a chance to go win a Super Bowl before my career kind of ends because it's not going to last much longer if you're Derrick Henry. So, yeah, if I'm him, I, I want to go somewhere that I can try and win a Super Bowl with right away. Did you know it's the final year of his contract? I don't think I knew that. I thought actually. they signed him. Hmm. I, I would blow it up if I'm Tennessee. Just because you're right. It's it's time for a... Can you trade Hopkins, though, because of the money you signed him yeah. to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I think it's time to blow it up because they're one of those teams that's just been in denial of a rebuild. And it, I felt that way about New Orleans for the last handful of years, and now they've got Carr, and as we see, it's still not going that great. They're a 500 team at best. I think they got to listen to offers for Derrick Henry because there'd be a ton of teams I would want to trade for him. Same with DeAndre Hopkins. I He hasn't been as good as I thought he was going to be this year. But teams I think would look that has at him. To do with their team exactly. Than I, He's I've seen fine. I've seen Ryan Tannehill play. <laughs> it's him, not DeAndre Hopkins. So I think there'd be plenty of suitors. I, if you're the Tennessee Titans, I think you blow it up. My question would be: If you do blow it up, what's the future of Mike Vrabel look like? Because I he wonder, would be interesting if he said, "Hey, man, I'm not going through a rebuild. Man, I put him here's, in Dallas. Here's my paperwork. Oh, yeah. Put or, him in Dallas. Yeah, I I think he. Let's be." I'm being honest. I, I think if they end up going down this rebuild route, he's the most fascinating thing to see what happens in the NFL. I offseason. bet you he goes to New England. Or New Maybe. England tries for him if they move I, on from Belichick. I wouldn't go there if oh, I was I him. I would be wanting to go to the NFC. I, I, I would want it. Like give me Washington Dallas. might be an interesting give spot me, for him. If I'm Vrabel, give me Dallas me, all you're the in the way. same spot, though, in Washington. Can Don't have imagine? a quarterback. Fair. But if they end up, they're probably not bad enough to get here. But imagine him with that defense. Chase Young, Montez Sweat. Deron Payne, like you've got some really good defensive talent there. I, I would be very interested to see what he could do uh, in Washington. You guys are probably right, though. I mean, it, if you're him, I think you're looking at the Chargers or Dallas. I think those are the two spots that you're really legitimately considering. And I, I think the Chargers might be the spot for him. I mean, see, I think you got the best defense you can ask for if you're Vrabel with Parsons, Diggs, Bosa. As, as a frontline player that you can build around Derwin yeah. James as a guy in the secondary. I mean, I think both of those spots would be really good for him. But either way, I, I agree with you, T-Bone. That's a really compelling offseason thought as well. If Derrick Henry were to be traded, where would you guys like to see him? Is there a landing spot that immediately comes to mind for you? I've got one that I'd be really curious to see. Yeah, go Ugh. for it, because I don't know if there's one that sticks out to me. Can you imagine him on the Dolphins? Oh, Jesus. That's with just their, not even I don't fair. think he fits their running style with what they're doing. He's much more of a downhill, like, let's let's ground and pound, and they're more of a, look over here, and then the ball goes over there. They're running, like, triple option stuff. It's wild, but I, I would love to see it. I'd be fascinated to see him as another element to that offense. I think the Ravens, though, are, are really the yeah. place that makes a lot of sense. For that him. would make sense. He I, fits just philosophically with what they try to be. I mean, Buffalo, you could always bring them up, even though I know that they're having somewhat success compared to what it was previously. I mean, Montgomery's been a godsend for them, but because he's been injured twice, if I'm Dan Campbell, I'm like, can you go get me Derek Henry? You know what? L.A. Rams. I I thought about them, but I don't know if he really fits what they want to do either because I – I think they want more of a pass catching probably running back in the back. And Henry can do it. They're the team that came to mind for Uh, me is Nick Chubb being out there. With Chubb being out. I I would trade for Derrick Henry if I'm Cleveland, because if you're going to, if you're going to win offensively, let's just be honest. You're not going to win with Deshaun Watson. He's still complaining about his shoulder may not play this weekend. So Cleveland's the team for me that should trade for Derrick Henry. Cleveland and Baltimore should be the two teams that are calling. And then final one. Where do you guys want to see uh, DeAndre Hopkins? If he's dealt. 
Well, the team he probably should have signed with all along in Kansas, Kansas City. City. <laughs> Kramer, right? That's the squad. Right now, it's like I'm watching all these wide receivers, and I'm thinking Kansas City. I'm watching Mike Evans play. I'm wondering what's in Cincinnati won't trade him in division. But now with DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, if he gets moved, I'm like watching Jerry all these. Judy, like there's yeah. a bunch of guys that I feel like wide receiver is the one spot that seems to be the most yeah. commonly discussed Hell, position. Kansas City should trade for like two of these guys. I think they're okay. Like. It's going to sound weird. I think MVS is perfectly fine in his role. I think Rasheed Rice is really good. I think he's going to be fine long term. They, they need a third guy and they need a third guy that could be a possession player. I think DeAndre Hopkins is like the ideal scenario for them. And he's under contract for next year as well. So you got him for the rest of this year and next. Yeah, that if you, you trade for him, do you sense. tell him when he gets walked in your facilities and he's like, should have freaking signed when we freak, uh, talked knows. to you the first time. He knows you know who else I think would be fun to see DeAndre Hopkins go to Detroit. I, I mean, you got Amon St. Yeah. Brown. Oh, they shoot. need a second yeah, option. That's a good like, one. Josh Reynolds is fine. Like, him and Goff have a good connection. You know, we'll see what Williams ends up being. But if you want to be a true threat in the NFC, go get yourself DeAndre Go Hopkins. back to where it all started. Head back to Houston. I mean, there's a few yeah. different places. Yeah. Like, Buffalo would be interesting for him Yeah, Buffalo as well. Uh, I think the Chargers really could use another I think outside I, wide receiver right now with Mike Williams I, being on the shelf. Dallas, honestly. Oh, yeah, Dallas. Could, could use one. I think if he goes to Buffalo, there's more problems than what we're expecting. Like, Stephon Diggs probably throws a hissy fit that DeAndre Hopkins is there. I want the ball. You're supposed to be throwing it to me, Josh. You know what? If you're the Jets. No. I might think about it. <laughs> Why? So you just throw the ball up in the air if you're Zach Wilson and hope somebody catches it? I mean... They've got one really good wide receiver, but they basically threw numbers at everything else. It's not like all those other dudes that they That's have like right now. It's like the Atlanta Falcons trading for him. Why? The quarterback sucks. Yeah, but next year you've got, hopefully, Aaron Rodgers back. And he's under contract for another say, what's year. What's his deal? He's got Two one more years, year left. Essentially? Yeah. One more year left on his deal. Okay, after go to Kansas City. All right, coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions, we'll get to them here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. and T-Bone on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's get to questions and answers from the 314. Guys, I just want to be clear here. Is BK suggesting that if the Yankees were to offer eight years at $30 million per year, so $240 million total, the Cardinals will and should offer more? If so, you're even more gullible than I thought. Wow. We, we never said that we were going to give him $30 million it's not a year, right? It's an amount of money. I'm not just saying. Yeah, we're not Mr. Monopoly over here. I'm not saying the Cardinals should outbid themselves and just say like, hey, we'll give you $200 million. And Nola says, but what about 250 And they say, yeah, let's do that instead, actually. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Thanks, <laughs> I like the way you think, Aaron. <laughs> Aaron how about 275 I I don't think Aaron Nola is going to get more than $200 million. I use that as the frame of reference because according to Bob Nightingale's story, that's what he was asking for from the Phillies at the beginning of the year was eight years, $200 million. I would honestly be surprised if he gets that much. I, I don't know that he's going to get up to that threshold. He wasn't going to until this postseason. I think the postseason starts moving the needle back towards $200 million. It's possible. I think he's more in the... What you're seeing from like a Carlos Rodon type of a pitcher, so like 175, 160, something like, like that. Six years, one, t- or 165, 160, I think. something like that. 
something like that kind of makes sense for him. So still would do it. <laughs> yeah, if it, it maybe it ends up being six years at thirty year thirty a year, so it's one hundred and eighty million dollars total. Or you go eight years at you know twenty three million dollars, something like that. Whatever it is, I, I think that's kind of the range you're talking about. But it's a lot of money. It's a lot more money than anything the Cardinals have ever been willing to give out. And that's why I wanted to have the discussion is, are you willing to go the years? Are you willing to give the dollars? Are you willing to give both? Because at a certain point, you're going to have to give somewhere. They had to give on the years when it came to signing Dexter Fowler. They had to give on the years when it came to signing Steven Matz. If you want these guys to sign early, you got to be willing to give somewhere. They gave on the years and the money, honestly, on Wilson Contreras. So... They're probably going to have to give up something if they want Aaron Nola to sign here. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, do you see a possibility of trading for Tyler Glass now and then potentially signing him to an extension? Maybe something like three years at $60 million total rather than letting him play this year out on his one-year $25 million contract. Alex or T-Bone, what do you think about that? I could absolutely see that because I don't know if the Cardinals want just a rental to fix their pitching. I I think if they trade for someone, they want to either have someone that's got control like a Dylan Cease or if he's a number four like a Clark Schmidt. I I don't think they want to go the rental route. So if they do trade for Tyler Glass now, I could absolutely see where they approach him about signing a contract extension. And if I'm Tyler Glass now, yeah, I would sign a contract extension. I don't know the exact number. I don't know if three by 60 would be it or not. But if you're Glass now, you're a guy that's been injured your whole career. If you can get a three-year, $60 million guaranteed contract, I think you're absolutely listening to that. Maybe he would want a little bit more, like 25 mil per year, because when he is healthy, he is one of the best pitchers in baseball. But yeah, I think the Cardinals should be open to that idea. Absolutely. If I'm going to trade for a guy like that, I'm signing him to an extension. And I know it's risky because he could break, and then two years of it is awful. But you know what? you got to risk it sometimes. And if you get a Tyler Glass now and he's healthy for those three years, well, welcome to having another dude who's like an ace. I do think it's more than that, though. I think you're having to spend more than a three-year, oh, $60 million. got to be 25-plus. Yeah. Or you're going a lot of years. I'm pulling up to see if you think this would be comparable. i got to see how old Glass now is, though, real quick. He's 29. He's 29. 30 next year. Would you give him the Zach Wheeler deal? They five gave years, him 125. Five years, 118. Yeah, so add for inflation, five and 125. I would be terrified of doing that deal. I would be Five much years, more. Yeah. I would be much more likely to give Aaron Nola the money. I mean, dude, he's he's thrown more than 120 innings zero times in his entire major league yeah. career. Look he's at how many times 30 he's years been. old, and he's never thrown more than 120 innings in a season. So I would I be would I do it? I don't think I would. I mean, may, maybe, um, but that would not be I'd, my first option. I'd rather go. If, if I trade for Glass now, I actually would have him on an expiring deal this year. I would have no problem with that, honestly. If I'm going to give but that. But he would probably be the second best pitcher that I had if, if, in an ideal scenario. If I'm going to give that money to Glass now, I'd much rather give it to like Yamamoto and just up it a little bit more. Yeah. Fair. I, I, just, I think it's interesting because it is more, it, it's a different circumstance than Wheeler. So I was just listening to a podcast yesterday and they were talking about the Wheeler contract. And when it was handed out, everybody looked at it and went, what the hell are the Phillies doing? But it was banking on upside. It was banking on, we know he misses bats, and we're willing to gamble on that and go five years. And now it looks like a steal of a contract. The difference is the Wheeler was much more healthy than Glass now, but it's kind of the same conversation, just a little bit different because of the injuries. Five by 125, probably not what I would do. Somebody might be willing to do that. I just don't think that it should be the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are desperate. I don't know that they're that desperate. I think they're desperate. And let me ask, let me say this another way. I think the Cardinals are desperate. I think they have other options because they have money. And there are a lot of teams out there that may not be able to attract pitchers to their market. I think St. Louis can. 
You got a good fan base here. You have money to be able to spend. Like, I would personally, instead of trading assets for and then giving money to Tyler Glass now, I would rather give a little less money and fewer years to Sonny Gray. I know there will be a lot of people that disagree with me, but I would rather go that route because he is a much, much, much more proven pitcher who has shown an ability to get deep into games and honestly just take the ball every day. And a guy who more than likely can finish that contract where Glassnow is probably going to break in year two of it. Yeah, it's super risky, but I mean, like, when you mentioned Glassnow's name, like, of every pitcher we talk about, free agency, trade-wise, I think he's got second-best stuff. Oh, he's a third-best stuff. When he's out, he's Jacob deGrom. Yeah. Like, that that's what you're looking at here is if he's available to you, especially if you get him right by the playoffs, he could start a game one and go toe-to-toe against just about anybody that you want to throw against him. And he's got a chance to be able to match them. He's that good. Um, but I, I think if I trade for him, I, I want him on a one-year deal. One year, prove everything to me. And if it goes really well, I'll consider re-signing See, you. It's interesting but- you mentioned the Rangers because, like, the Rangers knew the risk of DeGrom and look at where they are without DeGrom and without, I mean, Scherzer's returning tonight. But they had they were able to sign enough pitching and trade for pitching at the deadline to where they can mask one year without DeGrom and maybe another half a year without DeGrom. And, and I get, like, look, I get it. That's a different contract. But it is interesting because yeah. this is a kind of move that I think the Rangers, if they didn't have DeGrom, would do. It could potentially put you over the top. But again, I, I would do it and just have the one-year deal. I have no issues with trading for Tyler Glass now. He would be the third starter that I bring in. It's kind of the Tyler Malley conversation that we've had, where the upside, and this is a much higher upside than a Malley, the upside of it is, I mean, exponential. You, you could have a number one starter, and then you add him to uh, Aaron Nola, for example. Oh, buddy, now we're cooking with gas. Now we've got dudes that can go up against anybody in Major League Baseball. All right, final question. Somebody says, what's Yamamoto's projected contract, and where do we stand on the chances of getting him? Well, Newbar and Aaron Arenado are in Japan right now. They oh, went he's, to the he's a cardinal. They, they went to their game last night. So I fully anticipate oh, yeah. Yamamoto's coming over and I think he's going to take a team friendly deal. I think five years, a buck twenty five. Oh, no. Five years, 75 mil total. Think? Yeah. Are you kidding me? They're going to say <laughs> arch. <laughs> I think he's going to get something like 10 years and three hundred million dollars. Well, well, sorry, yeah. Cardinals. It's not happening. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be outlandish. Nice like, try. He's, he's a projected ace that is 25 years old. You don't get those guys. They, they don't he exist. He is the guy, though, that I'm giving. Like, if I'm paying that type of money, yeah, it's going to be that guy. Yeah. I'm all in. And Arenado's there, and he's like, hey, come I think on over. Eight, 10 years in that 275 to $300 million range. Sure. Yeah. I'm in. Seriously, though. It's I almost a, just ripped my microphone plays, off the stand. But. Arenado's brother plays. Is that why they were there? thought I read something that his brother played for that team. I have no idea. I know his brother was there with him. That's oh, okay. all. That's so all maybe not. My entire information that You're I had. You're not going over there to see Yamamoto pitch for the hell of it. I think they were trying to see the scenes in Tokyo. Yeah, sure they were. <laughs> sure they were. That was Mo saying, Nolan, you keep saying you want talent. Will you get over there and you tell the guy to come to St. Louis? <laughs> go do something for us. Go shake the pepper on Yamamoto. Bring him to St. Louis. Coming up next, can the Cardinals make the jump next year that the Rangers made this season? I think the numbers are a little more interesting than you might believe. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK and 
DK. So Alex, yesterday I was watching MLB Network. Brian Kenny was on there and he was doing his thing, right? He's up on the big board. He's telling you all about the the team building philosophy for the Texas Rangers. He's up there talking about the aircraft carriers that they've got and all this good stuff. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, man, the Cardinals might be featured in a segment like this next year. Here's what he had to say about the Rangers. John Gray, Nathan Eovaldi, Andrew Heaney, all free agents, but not the monster aircraft carrier signings. We're talking 12 to $17 million per year per player. That's manageable. Then, after their good start, they went full throttle, trading for Max Scherzer and the very effective Jordan Montgomery. All these guys acquired in the last two years. That's aggressive. Money doesn't do everything, but it can help quite a bit. The Rangers have gone from hovering around 20th to a spot in the top 10. Their opening day payroll this year was ninth. They are likely to jump up a bit higher next year, projected around seventh, and obviously before they hit the market again this winter. And they might hit it very hard, but it's more than money. They acquire aggressively. They have a few misses, but they have lots of hits. Especially over the last couple of years. And Alex, as you're looking to this offseason, the Cardinals need to do what the Rangers did. They were aggressive. They went out to the market and they said, okay, what do we need? We need pitching. Pitching, pitching, and more pitching. And they went out and acquired a whole hell of a lot of it, man. They ended up getting Andrew Heaney. They got Nathan Ovaldi. They end up trading at the deadline for Montgomery and Scherzer. They signed Jacob deGrom. Now, that has not gone according to plan, obviously. But they were aggressive and willing to take on the risk of, hey, maybe it does work out for them. The other thing that has worked out for the Rangers this year, man, they got bounce back seasons. Corey Seager, who they signed two years ago, went from an OPS plus of 117 to an OPS plus this year of 170. They had Marcus Simeon, who they signed two years ago as well, to this massive contract. He goes from 6% above league average to 25% above league average this year. Josh Young, 26 games two years ago as a rookie. 645 OPS, not really much to speak of. Big-time prospects didn't really perform particularly well in his first taste at the big league level. Well, this year, 785 OPS in 122 games completely changed the outlook for their lineup. So they get some bounce-back candidates from their best players in the lineup. They get a big-time early season performance by Josh Young. They sign the pitching that they ended up needing, and bada-boom, bada-bing, they go from 68 wins in 2022 to one of the best teams in Major League Baseball this year. How'd they do it, Alex? They were aggressive. And they went out and signed the necessary talent. They went from 23rd last year in runs allowed per game to 12th this season. They go from 12th in runs per game. They already had a pretty good offense to third this year. One of the best offenses in all of Major League Baseball. Now you got a team that can contend. How does that compare to the Cardinals, you might ask? As I said, the Rangers 23rd in runs allowed per game last year. This year, 12th. The Cardinals this year, 24th in runs allowed per game. Alex, you can make this kind of a jump quickly. The Rangers won 68 games last year in the playoffs in the ALCS now up with the potential to really go to the World Series. Cardinals won 71 games this year. If you get the right pitching in here, this thing can turn quickly. But you got to be willing to do what the Rangers did. Go from the mid-20s or lower 20s in the payroll. You got to get yourself into the top 10. I'm not saying you got to be the Yankees. You don't have to be the Dodgers. But can you get into the range of where the Rangers are right now? That should be the goal. Yeah, I mean, you can look at the offensive side of it and see where the 
opportunities are to do what the Rangers did, like that bounce back from Corey Seager. I mean, you could pick your poison with any of the top three we've talked about with Contreras, Arenado, or Goldschmidt of being that significant of a bounce back. The rookie, you can get that from a Jordan Walker. It really comes down to this pitching. And this is why we've talked so much. This is why at the open when people are saying, well, you can't give that many years and money to Aaron Nola. Yeah, I know you're not supposed to, but that's the position you've put yourself in. Like I'm sure Texas probably winced when they talked about the Jacob deGrom signing, but I mean, it didn't work out, but you, you, you figured you had to go, you go strong for something like that. So they were able to capitalize on pitchers that you didn't expect to be this successful in terms of Valdi, Andrew Heaney with gray, the Cardinals, that is going to be their biggest hump that they're going to have to get over of finding ways to target certain pitchers that aren't supposed to be, this type of quality for their roster and have success with it. Like Sonny Gray, we've talked about. This is one of those that nobody looks at as a top pitcher, but he's a top pitcher. If you get Aaron Nola, great. But as we've discussed, there has to be more. You have to add depth, and this is where the Cardinals have to strike. Sonny Gray should be like the Rivaldi signing, yep. where it's like two, three years. It's not. It's it's going to cost a pretty penny, but it's not overly. It's not like going to break the bank, and it's a guy that can pitch in the postseason. And when he's right, he's a number two. Same with Nathan Navaldi. I mean, hell, he was leading the rotation before he be got honest, hurt. I know it's different in terms of the years and the everything is is a little different, but in terms of like what you're expecting them to do, I kind of think honestly, Aaron Nola is the Nathan Navaldi of this offseason. And the reason why I say that is because you sign Navaldi for what he does in the playoffs. You sign Navaldi because he is a proven postseason performer that can come in and in the postseason if he needs to lead your staff he can be the best pitcher on a contending team staff in the playoffs so I I think that would actually be my comparison for him I would say the John Gray signing is more like what you're getting potentially with Sonny Gray I I would say those are the comparisons for me I understand the money is is crazy different though but just in terms of the role that they play within your staff I Nola to me would be the comparison for Avaldi. yeah I it's hard to get there, though, because yeah. one's going to cost you like potentially $200 what, million. What, the other was a $40 million. What, what I'm fascinated to know is there are two routes that you can go when it goes to looking at the number one. And the Rangers went the second route. The first route is we go with the guy that feels like certainty, even though no pitcher is certain. But the guy that feels like certainty, that's the NOLA. That's the number one, the sure. guy that feels like certainty. Hey, look, 200 innings. Oh, uh, that's the certainty route. Or you go with the mindset of, man, this could be really ugly. But let's just dream on what it looks like if it goes right. And that's what the Rangers did. That's what they did with the Grom. That's the Snell deal. Sure. That is the Snell deal where you go, eight years? Like, this guy could be like a $30 million bullpen arm in year three. But man, if it works. You saw what it looked like in Tampa Bay when he won a Cy Young. You saw what it looked like this last year in San Diego and won a Cy Young. Hell, he could be hurt for most of his contract. But, man, when he is right, he is arguably has the best stuff in all of baseball. Can I make the same argument? I, I think we're downplaying the upside of Aaron Nola. I though. agree. Well, I don't think he's got Snell stuff. Like I, I agree. But I think the effectiveness can be every bit as good as Blake Snell. Not in terms of, like, a 2 ERA. But when I get into the postseason, that's really what I care about, honestly. Like, I... I know Aaron Nola is going to be really solid during the regular season. Can you pitch up to expectations in the postseason? I know Snell is more than capable of doing that. We've seen that from him. I'm not I'm not downplaying Snell either. But I think sometimes we undersell just how good Aaron Nola can be in the biggest possible moments. We've seen that this year in the postseason. So, like, it looks different. He's not going to get 15 strikeouts in a playoff game. That's not what you're expecting. But can he get you 6, 7, 8, 9? Yeah, he can and do that six for innings. you. <laughs> and he can get you six innings in a postseason start where there's scoreless innings, even against the best offenses that he's going up against. Look what he did against Atlanta. So I think sometimes we undersell 
man, let me dream on that with Aaron Nola as well. I get why we do it with Blake Snell. It is more than justified. But I think we undersell what what Aaron Nola can be from that perspective as well. See, I don't. I, I just feel differently about that. I don't think we undersell Aaron Nola. I think we're describing him perfectly. He's a really good pitcher that's got swing and miss stuff, but it's not electric stuff. Like he can go through spurts of man, this this looks bad, and he gets hit around. He finishes with a four ERA. For Snell, it is walks, not so much of like this guy's just getting crushed. He just has no idea where the baseball is going. Um, I, I think they're two different conversations. I and I don't think either way is wrong. Like I, I'm now thinking of eight years, two hundred million. I might be a little upset about the contract for Aaron Nola, but like I don't think there's a different. There's just a different approach to it. Like there is the I think Snell is the Degrom route where it is it can blow up in your face but man that stuff's electric or there's the Aaron Nola route and I don't really know of a like perfect comp for the contract for him um, it's hard it, because like he's just like I know for a fact like you sign Aaron Nola I'm projecting 200 innings in like a three five to four ERA Snell though I mean there's such a up and down to where he could be really bad or he could be so good he's back in the NL Cy Young vote I don't think Nola's ever going to be a Cy Young winner and that's not a bad thing he can still lead that rotation and play up in the postseason but there's a difference between that and Blake Snell who can win a Cy Young and pitch well in the postseason Nola's been a top five Cy Young candidate though twice in the last seven years and he's been a top 10 Cy Young candidate three times in the last six years can you use the comp of John Lester for Nola yeah that's an interesting Cub signing I mean, that's that's at least what it feels like, because now Lester, I mean, what, he was second in Cy Young voting the year that he became a free agent. But what he did kind of those years leading up to it was and that didn't at feel, least similar to Nola. And that didn't feel risky at the time. Like that felt like, hey, you signed him because to a the Cubs deal. had the core in yeah, place. You, well, not just that, but you signed him to that six year deal. You know, hey, I know you're going to get out of John Lester. That's what I, I mean. That, it's not a I'm but not also ripping on Aaron Nola. You can dream on it. Like if you get Aaron Nola into this rotation or he's. Nola, much like Lester with the Cubs, mm-hmm. this guy can be a number one starter for you in the playoffs, so you can go win a World Series. Which that, you had. That's dreaming. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's exciting, man. Like, Aaron Nola could come in here and basically be for your rotation what Chris Carpenter and Adam Wainwright were previously for your rotation. Guys that take the ball every fifth day, lead the culture of the clubhouse, like do all of the things that you want on and off of the field. And oh, by the way, you get to the postseason and they are freaking shoving. I, I don't know, man. For me, like, I. I, I think I'm seeing what the disagreement here is. It's not so much on the effectiveness of the pitchers. It's how they go about it. It's the stuff. It's the 98 that you see from like Blake as, Snell, as, as strikeout, wipeout, slider, like all of that. And, and I'm with you. Like that, that is something that you dream on. There's no doubt about it. But I would say like while Aaron Nola doesn't have that kind of stuff, the effectiveness is not all that dissimilar. Like since 2019, do you know how many times Blake Snell prior to this year was in the Cy Young candidacy? Like how many times he was in the received a vote for a Cy Young? Oh, I know he's hurt last year, so I know he didn't get it there. I think it's just this; it's going to be this year. It was my 2019 guess. up until this year, zero times. Zero times was he receiving a vote for a Cy Young. You know how many times Aaron Nola was twice. Yeah, twice in that in that stretch of uh, of seasons. It's really three full seasons, and out of those three seasons, twice he was a top ten Cy Young candidate in the National League. I think we have reached a place where we are actually underselling how good Aaron Nola is, and it's mostly because he had a really weird up-and-down, not-super-great season. Other than that, though, he's he's been awesome, dude. The, the guy is outstanding, and for me, I like the comp of John Lester, mm-hmm. and I, I would dream on that, whereas the, the Snell thing is probably more of Jacob DeGrom. I understand the upside there. 
it comes with so much risk, so much risk that is associated. And see, the concern with Jacob DeGrom was, well, he's not going to be there for you. Like, I'm not concerned about that with Blake Snell. I'm more kind of am. I'm more concerned about that towards the end of that contract. Like the Jacob DeGrom, like the year you signed him, I'm thinking, well, he's not going to be playing for you this season. I mean, he's he's thrown more than 130 innings once yeah. since 2018, though. But Blake Snell, I look at it as like, yeah, he's probably going to be dominant for you maybe this upcoming season. But as the, the, the years go, it's going to slowly it's going to slowly descend in terms of he's not even going to be a legit pitcher for you anymore. Whereas Nola, it's like, I, even if it falls off a little bit, I still know he's going to be giving me six or seven quality outings. Yeah. And, and that's why like, again, I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I, I just think they are two separate categories. When I look at the signing, cause I do, I think it's fair to say, like if you sign Aaron Nola, I'm not saying it's a conservative approach to free agency, but it is a, it feels like you know what you're getting. With Blake Snell, you have no idea, but man, the upside is really up there. For Nola, like his upside, it's just different to me because I just don't think his stuff is as good as Blake Snell. And when I'm looking at a pitcher now for the St. Louis Cardinals, I'm looking at stuff. I because I don't think you need an innings eater because you got that in Michaelis. I'm looking at stuff. I'm not gonna say like like Blake Aaron Nola would be a great signing from the Cardinals, but it just feels like a Cardinals move. Blake Snell's not a Cardinals move, and that would be different. Aaron Nola is a Cardinals move in the way that Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt were Cardinals moves, though. Like, Aaron Nola is not a Dexter Fowler. He's not a Brett Cecil. Or a Mike Leake. Yeah, he, he's not in that he, He's not in that class. He is a, I, I think he is the Paul Goldschmidt of starting pitchers that you could acquire. Not a future Hall of Famer like Paul Goldschmidt was, but, I, I mean, he, he could be. He could be. If he ends up performing in the postseason in the future the way that he is right now, like you get to two World Series, potentially win one this year. Maybe you get to another with the Cardinals and you continue putting together consistent 200 um, inning seasons. I mean, it's not crazy to imagine down the road how he ends up getting there, especially especially if he wins a Cy Young at some point. Again, I'm not projecting that he will be a Hall of Famer, but one of the one of the guys that we compared him to previously, I can't remember who our guest was that did it. He said he's Mike Messina. He's modern day Mike Messina, and Mike Messina's a Hall of Famer. So I, I love the idea of adding him to this staff. I, I am souring on the idea of Blake Snell, which being totally candid, I also just don't think he's going to come to St. Louis. Um, I, I would be pretty surprised if he ended up here. I think he's a New Yorker, LA guy. Unless they send Nolan Arenado and Lars Nupar to his home, trying to convince him. Coming up next, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenarios, we'll tell you which one's more likely here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Alex, you want to bring to air what you were just talking about? Yeah, so I look up at the screen, and uh, our, our good old buddy Stephen A. Smith up there with some hot takes. They're discussing, quote, do Lions need to prove who prove they're legit this week? Yeah. They're taking on the Baltimore Ravens, who are 4-2, and two, while the Detroit Lions are 5-1. and one. How the hell do they have to prove that they're legit? Against a Baltimore Ravens team. I need to see it. And then I saw on Twitter that Josh Anna said the same thing. And uh, You didn't have to say that part out loud. No, buddy. I did. Not all of your thoughts have to go over the air. Yeah. Oh, no. all of them don't? Are you sure? I mean, 100% crazy, but <laughs> didn't have to say it on Stupid conversation. I mean, they did beat the Chiefs. Who, Baltimore or 
<laughs> no, the Lions. Oh, oh, yeah, the team right. that apparently has to continue uh, to prove it. Uh, they need to beat the, the Baltimore Ravens. They're the juggernaut in the AFC this season. Their one loss came in overtime against the Seattle Seahawks. They have won without Amonra St. Brown in the lineup. They've won without Jamison Williams in the lineup. They've won, They've won without won David without Montgomery. G- Jameer Gibbs. They've won without well, David Montgomery. They'll never They've get won a win with half of their secondary. Their defense has been injured. This is great. the week they got to prove it to me against the Baltimore. Someone Ravens. just texted in. The Lions are 13 and three in their last 16 games. Prove it. And they got to prove themselves against the crappy Baltimore Ravens. It's going to be great when Baltimore wins this weekend. Look at who they've played, man. They proved it against <laughs> look at who, Look at who they've played. Golly. It really is amazing. More likely to happen. I lose my mind over that or the fact that Dan Campbell still doesn't use Jameer Gibbs this weekend. You know what I say to that conversation? Wednesday. That's what it is. It's a Wednesday. Stephen and a. Smith's on struggling. ESPN, there were no games last night in the NFL. There's no NBA games going on right now in the regular they, season. They pres- so they got a... They're not yet to the this weekend's <laughs> matchups, and it's too late to break down last weekend's matchup. It's a Wednesday. They presented two <laughs> options to Stephen A. Stephen, we we got some hockey talk that we could get into. <laughs> now nah, let's talk about the Lions. How they got to prove themselves this week? Freaking five and one team. You know, a producer came to him and said, "Hey, hey, hey, hey. big game <laughs> <Rough> this weekend. <laughs> big game this weekend. Lions versus the Ravens. You got any takes on that?" He said. I need to see it from the Lions. They got to prove themselves. <laughs> Somebody was like, boom, that's it. Punch him in the face, Stephen A. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios, we'll tell you which one is more likely. Guys, more likely to happen. The Blues finish third in the Central Division or the Missouri Tigers finish first in the SEC East. Oh, easy. More likely the Blues finish third. <laughs> you don't the, believe that. <laughs> I can't see a scenario where the Tigers are winning their, the SEC East. I can. Okay. It's called you know beating it Georgia. I know how it happens. I don't see it oh, happening. It's easy. Brock Bowers isn't playing. I, I can see the Blues getting third in the Central. Can I give you guys something that I'm legitimately fearful of? I'm a little Georgia. worried that Missouri is overlooking South Carolina. Oh. I really hope it doesn't happen. I'm going to be there no. this weekend. It's the game, Cox, man. They got them. They've got a bye week coming out of this one. It's fine. And then you take on Georgia, and everybody's focus, at least outside of that locker room, is Georgia. Georgia. On my mind. Georgia. And meanwhile, they, they still have to beat South Carolina this weekend for homecoming, which is a huge game against a team that has a wide receiver who mosses everybody that goes up against now spencer rattler i don't trust at all but he can throw it up to legit legit whatever his last name is that guy's amazing so um yeah i'm a a little worried about this weekend you can't spell but i'm going mizzou you can't spell believe without eli there you go and that's what this weekend holds i'm going mizzou also wow yeah i i actually think there's like a legit opportunity for this i still Feeling okay? Already? There's still 80 games to be played in this NHL season. And look, I, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit, but like Minnesota does look good still. Now, season's early, things can change, but they look tough. Um, Mizzou, I mean, we're talking about one win against Georgia. And SEC East is yours. That's right. I mean, still can't allow an upset. No, it's like fine. There's South there won't Carolina, be upsets. Tennessee, Florida. I think Georgia's we'll be also going to lose to Ole Miss. Oh, well, okay. yeah, I think that's possible. Welcome. But welcome the, gonna uh, lose the tiebreaker welcome, to Georgia. Welcome the SEC no, East gifted to you. No, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. More, li- more likely to happen. 
Scott Perunovich plays more than 20 games this season. Whatever the other thing Or is. Robert Bortuzzo <laughs> gets traded before the end of the year. Bortuzzo. Yeah, Bortuzzo's traded. I love me boards, but he could help somebody. I. It's weird. I mean, I thought for sure Perunovich was making the team Perunovich was playing. And he's made the team, and he must look good in a suit because he hasn't looked good in a hockey sweater. Didn't you see him on the bench on opening night? He looked I good. Didn't, I didn't. Hair was slick back, I too. Didn't, did he's got a nice flow. I think the Blues have told you with their actions and not their words what this season is all about. Man, they're trying to win, and I, I respect it, honestly. But the decision to put Torpchenko up in the lineup tells you everything you need to know about where the, the headspace is right now for Craig Berube and for Doug Armstrong. If this was about getting guys opportunities to see what they have for next year, well, then Jake Neighbors would be up there on that second line going into tomorrow night's game. Instead, it's Torpchenko up there, and instead of seeing opportunities for Scott Perunovic in the defensive core, you're seeing those opportunities going to Tyler Tucker and Marco Scandella, as they should. Those guys are better right now. So I think it's more likely that you end up seeing Bortuzzo traded, although that being said, I I don't think they're trading Robert Bortuzzo because you're not going to get a significant return for him, and he's really good in the locker room. I, I wouldn't. I would say it's more likely that Perunovic plays more than 20 games. I don't think you're trading Robert Bortuzzo. Obviously, you got the injuries into all of this one, and they're not changing the lineups right now because they've won two games or they won a game and then they played well in the shootout loss. As soon as as soon as that bombshell happens for the, the, the Blues, that's when Perunovic gets in. And I, I do think you'll see him play significant ice time. I, I just... I wonder if this is more the Blues are trying to get his defense up to par with what they need from him rather than his offense. You know his offense is going to play. You just got to make sure you can play this scheme if you're going to step into the lineup. Guys, more likely to come back from down 2-0 in the LCS series. The Astros or the Diamondbacks? Astros. Astros. Diamondbacks are done. Astros, no doubt about it. I loved how Merrill Kelly was like, I'm not worried about playing in Philly get lit up in the first couple of innings dude it's fine you don't gotta poke the bear i know just come on man just keep your mouth shut it's philadelphia mums the word just say i'm looking forward to playing in that environment and just shut the bleep up houston astros though are the ones that i believe can come back into this one they've got the offense like we talked about yesterday you get kyle tucker starting to hit and things go your way a little bit more i think i agree with you guys I, because i can see where the series turns on its head tonight i hate the idea of starting max scherzer they should have put him in the Steven Matz role, which was the bullpen. Because remember, Matz came back from injury last year, but there wasn't enough time to build him up. And that was activating him in September. The Rangers just activated this guy like four days ago, and they're like, hey, go out there and start. And is, I can see where this series could turn on its head tonight. I just don't understand why they feel the need to do it. Max probably won't come out of the bullpen. Oh, Max is probably telling them I want to pitch. I get it, but like... I can't be Mad Max without being a starter. Yeah. Well, or mad. Yeah. I, I would not want to see him in this scenario if I were in charge. I think they're going to give like two innings and then move on from him. It's going to be like an opener. Yeah, they said I think something like 70 pitches is kind of what they're looking for out of him. Get four innings out of him and hopefully move out, but uh, I think it's much more likely that Houston gets back in that series. More likely Diamondbacks win a game or the Astros come back? I'd say Diamondbacks Diamondbacks could win a game. Ah, See, I don't know. So so who's Suarez's slated to pitch next? I think it's four and five would be uh, Wheeler and Nola again. They'll need somebody for game four. There you go. So four four would be the tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious because, like, we all seem pretty down on Arizona. And I like that team. It hasn't looked good. It looked good in the first two rounds. They look like a team. The magic is lost. The pump, the, the the carriage went back to a pumpkin, my man. They look like a team that's been outclassed by a team that actually is a legitimate contender. 
they, they look like a team that's on the cusp of contending. The Phillies look like a contender in every sense of the word. There, there's a dip. When you get to this point in the postseason, your flaws will be exposed. Every single one of them. And there's too many holes in that lineup for, for Arizona. It's a good team. They're a fun young squad, but there's just too many holes in that lineup right now. And bullpens shaky a little bit in the middle of it. They've got some back end guys that I like, but they've, they've got too many. Holes I think they should trade Cardinals Cattell Marte in the offseason. Del Marte, I would take. I would take Zach Gallen. I would no. take Merrill Kelly. Merrill no. Kelly's, by the way, like one of the more underrated pitchers in the game. I know last night didn't go perfect for him, but he was able to kind of stop the bleeding a little bit there. He only allowed three hits. They just happened to all leave the yard. <laughs> Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm VK. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to the junk drawer. But coming up next, you allowing yourself to believe that Yadier Molina is going to be back on the bench for the Cardinals this upcoming season. I'm starting to, and I wonder how Cardinals fans are going to view this. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. One season without Yadier Molina in the locker room and all hell broke loose with the catcher situation alongside Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK a month into the season. They decided Wilson Contreras, you're no longer a catcher. You're actually a left fielder and a DH. And then they were like, oh, no, actually, he's not going to be playing left field. And then they decided, oh, actually, you're going to be a catcher again. <laughs> So that's how this season went for them, Alex. They would like to avoid that in the future. And the man for that job apparently is Yadier Molina. According to multiple reports, including the original report that came from Fox 2, it sounds like the Cardinals and Yadier Molina are at least exploring the possibility of him joining this staff with Yadier Molina. Now, John Mozeliak had a quote that he gave to Derek Gould in the morning paper earlier today. He said, we will always try to find a place for someone like Yadi. He added that the Cardinals are still, quote, working through, end quote, the makeup of Oliver Marmol's staff and specific roles on it for 2024. Alex, there was also a quote from Yadi yesterday to a newspaper down in uh, Puerto Rico where he said, yeah, I have talked to the Cardinals about my willingness and excitement about being a part of the staff in 2024. I'm starting to believe this is going to happen. Now, I don't know what specific role it would be. Maybe it's a catching coordinator where he can kind of come and go as he pleases. Maybe it's a bench coach job. Maybe it's an assistant pitching coach kind of a role where he's just helping out with that side of things. I, I don't know what they're going to do there. I think a lot of that will be determined by what Yachty is willing to do in terms of his time commitment. But Alex, what do you think of this becoming a real possibility? And how do you feel about him being part of the staff next year? I think it's a good thing for this team. We talked about it last week. Like, yeah, the concerns are you're getting bringing in somebody that is going to get all the hype towards being the next manager. And if it goes bad, Ollie's not going to actually have this job. All of that. But a couple of scenarios in this and why it makes sense and why I'm actually kind of optimistic. One is Wilson Contreras. The main reason, like we can all be honest about this, is they know that they need help as Wilson Contreras is going to be the catcher next season. And Yadier Molina is going to do that. They can have each other's ears. Yadier's going to be able to assist in that. But you're also adding the former player element to the bench with Ali Marmol. And we saw how that worked with him when he had Skip Schumacher and when you had Albert Pujols and Yadier on the team that were basically coaches. That's what you're going to do with this. But then tinfoil theory for you guys. Haven't had this one in a while. I also wonder if this is an opportunity for the Cardinals to get ahead of the pack in the offseason with free agents. Because we've heard so many guys. Steven Matz told us on the air. We've heard other guys talk about how bad they wanted to come to St. Louis because of Yadier Molina. 
Now, I know none of these free agents are pitching to Yadi or Molina. You're pitching to Wilson Contreras, which has been Days of Our Lives Cardinals edition this season. But you also know if I'm Aaron Nola, if I'm any, if I'm Sonny Gray, if any of the other fringe pitchers, I'm coming to St. Louis and Yadier Molina is going to be the bench coach working with the catcher, which means he's working with the pitching staff. And I got to imagine there's a little bit of in the back of John Mozalek's head thinking this might at least give us a slight edge on other teams in terms of free agents and their interest in St. Louis. Maybe. I, I don't know how many, and this is not me tamping down what you're saying there, Alex. I, I do think there there is an added benefit of that. I don't know how many guys are signing with teams because of coaches, maybe like a previous coach that they've worked with. Like if Jordan Montgomery, for example, ended up re-signing with Texas, I think it's impossible because he has a really good relationship with Mike Maddox, right? That kind of stuff I totally get. I I don't know how many guys. Yachty's a different level of of coach than what you would typically see, so it's possible, but I don't know how many guys are really signing in any given place because of somebody they could work with. I mean, slight edge in terms of if it's down to two teams and they're like, "Ah, you know what, this would be pretty cool. I'm not thinking like Noah's like, hey, I'll come play for you because Yachty's the bench coach for $50 million. Yachty's your bench coach? I'm in. What I mean is like it's down to two teams for Aaron Nola. It's same money either way. Same money either way, but like, hey, in the back of my mind or I've had a conversation with Yachty or Molina about it I, I again tinfoil I don't think this has anything hurt. to do with it yeah it can't hurt that that's for sure it's I, like you trying to bring a free agent in if Albert Pujols was your bench coach sure. it's gonna work if Pujols is calling up saying I'd love you to play for my team it doesn't hurt to have that guy call absolutely you know if I've got an opportunity to have Yadi or Molina get on the phone with I don't know Aaron Nola or Sonny Gray like it doesn't hurt <laughs> you know it, it can't be a bad situation for you it's like having Matt Holiday come out and right. you know help recruit a guy like Nolan Arenado it, it didn't hurt I don't know if that's why he's here but it certainly didn't hurt him telling him how great it is to play in the city of St. Louis I, I would say the biggest thing for me I don't know that there's anybody else that I would rather work on a day-to-day basis with Wilson Contreras than Yadi or Molina And one of the biggest issues, apparently, according to the team, based on their actions last year, was Wilson Contreras just didn't really fit with what they did at the catching position. Now, I think the Cardinals should have adjusted more to Wilson Contreras than they did. I think they were a little too rigid in who they were. This is how we do things. No, this is how Yadier Molina does things as a catcher. Wilson Contreras is a very different player, and you should have known that going into the season. But if he wasn't up to standards of like a, just a major league catcher, much less Yadier Molina, then he does need to get a lot of work done there. And if he was resistant to that, I don't know that he was or wasn't. But if he was, there's nobody that he's going to listen to more than Yadier Molina. That dude loves and respects the hell out of Yadi. And if he's on the bench working with him day to day, I would assume you're probably going to get the best out of Wilson Contreras as a defensive minded catcher going into next season. Yeah, I, I think no matter what the title is he gets, whether it's roaming catching instructor or bench coach, um, whatever the role may end up being, his sole, like, here's how we're going to judge how year one went if you sign Yadier Molina to a role, is did he help Wilson Contreras? Did he help Andrew Kisner? Did he help Yvonne Herrera? That is going to be the thing that's going to determine what how successful this is for Yadier. Because I think it's the whole reason he's being brought in. I'm 100% with you. I think it is to work with Contreras on both blocking and in framing. I, I don't, and maybe preparation. I, I don't, if that was really a massive issue for the Cardinals, then maybe Yachty's there to help with that. But I think that's more on a person. That's more of a Contreras is the only guy that can fix that, and a sure. coach isn't going to do it. But he can, I think Yachty can definitely help him with blocking, with framing. I mean, Yachty's one of the best at that in his whole career. Even when he was in the final year of his deal where he had a sore knee and clearly wasn't his self offensively. I also think he can help with preparation. I, I think sometimes, like, 
for example, I, I learned how to prepare for a radio show from Nick Wright. I, I didn't know how to do it before I went down to Houston and interned for Nick on his morning show down in Houston. And because of that experience, I now know I might be bad at it, but I now kind of have an idea of what to look for, right? What, what could potentially make for intriguing discussions on the radio? Now, some of you may say <laughs> maybe you should try a little harder on that, but I— I learned from him. Tanner, why'd you make that face? I thought it was you that would be thinking that. You're a I, jerk. I think that with Yadier Molina around, he can give him some tips of the trade, right? Hey, they've given you these piles of information. Here are the things that you really need to be looking at. Like, here are the 10 pieces of information that you need to really digest overnight prior to the next day's matchups, right? That's stuff like that. Or here's the kind of things that I'm looking for on video that will give you some tips on hitters and whether or not they're seeing the ball well. Like those kinds of things I think can be really valuable. They're intangibles, but they're really valuable to have him around. And then maybe more importantly, most importantly, he's just a really good baseball mind, man. So if he were to come in and be your bench coach, I like him having the ear of Ali Marmel on a day-to-day basis. Especially when it comes to bullpen, certain pitchers that you're 100%. bringing in, certain situations. Hey, should I stick with this guy here? What are you seeing, Yachty? I, I trust his gut on that kind of stuff as much as I would trust anybody's gut on those kinds of decisions. And this is not me being critical of Ali Marmel. I think if you're a good leader, regardless of whatever it is that you do, you listen to those around you that you think have an expertise in certain areas. If you are a CEO of a Fortune 500 company... I would assume on money matters, you're probably looking to some of your money people that give you good decision-making ideas. On the marketing side of things, you should have people that are in marketing that are giving you good ideas. You take it all in. You say, I want to go with that one. That's what Ollie Marmel does. He is somebody that takes in all of the information on a day-to-day basis and then makes decisions accordingly. Having Yadier Molina as somebody that is giving him some of that information cannot be a bad thing for this team. So I'm I'm really curious to see where this ends up going. I kind of hope he's the bench coach next year, which being totally candid and upfront and honest about it, I think it would be a spectacular story. And I think it helps this team. If this ends up happening, I think it is the potential start of an A-plus offseason. This is the kind of addition that shows you the Cardinals are serious about upgrading their staff because you don't bring in Yadi or Molina if you're not expecting to go out there and win in a big way in 2024. Otherwise, you're wasting your time and you're wasting Yadi's time. And, and Yadi is not somebody that you're going to waste his time. And you're setting your manager up for failure. Yeah. As much as, like, I, I agree with what you just said of, like, hey, a good leader sets himself up with good people around him. And also, if you don't do the right offseason, you're setting up for chance at the ballpark of we want Yadi when the team is 10 games below 500 in just the first month of the season or whatever it may be. It puts a ton of pressure on a lame duck manager, and you can't do that if you're the front office. You've got to help him out. He brings in Yachty, it puts more pressure on you, and you got to help out your manager so people aren't calling for his head. I'm. Do you think it happens? Yeah, I don't think. What the, position it, do you think he gets? A bench coach. I don't. I don't know what else you'd be bringing Yachty. Yachty or Molina wants to be a manager. To be a manager, you're not bringing him in to be a catching consultant. You're bringing him in to be the bench coach. With an emphasis on the catching side of the game. Yeah, I, I think it's bench coach or it's catching instructor. One or the other. I, I would probably lean more towards bench coach, but I could see where he takes a catching role. Him coming out and saying I'm interested in being a part of the staff yeah. makes me think that he's going to be the bench if coach. If he's a catching year. consultant, he's probably here half the season. He's not on the road trips. A lot and of it will be video work that he's yeah. doing with, uh, with Wilson Contreras. But if he wants to be a manager, which he's made it very clear he wants to be, and you're not, you're not get, this isn't getting out. And it's not to the discussion it is, unless it was a strength towards the bench coach. And he said, wouldn't bringing in Yachty pretty much make Ollie a lame duck manager anyways? No, not at all. Not at all. 
I, uh, that's the narrative it's going to be if it goes poorly. Sure. But if it goes well, this is Ali surrounding himself with smart minds. We talked about this on Friday. His first year, he brought in Skip Schumacher as the bench coach. Everybody knew Skip was probably going to be one year in a manager somewhere else. He wanted that guy next to him because he knew Skip Schumacher was a highly qualified individual who he trusted. Last year, Matt Holiday was the guy that he selected to be his bench coach. A lot of people expect Matt Holiday to be a future manager in Major League Baseball. Why did he want him there? Because he's a potential future manager that he trusts. This year, he could potentially have Yadier Molina next to him. Why does he want him there? Because everybody believes he's a future Major League manager that he trusts. That is the sign of a good leader. I know everybody wants to crap on Ollie all the time. Maybe you have a good leader. I, I, you can, we can discuss decision-making, and maybe you disagree with every decision he's ever made as a manager. Fine, we could talk about that. That's a baseball conversation. As a leader, I think we're seeing mounting evidence that he, he might be pretty good at that part of the job. You guys want some news? Sure. Breaking so, news or T-bone breaking eh, just news? Just kind of T-bone breaking okay. news, because I think we all saw this. Uh, Rawlings Baseball is announcing Gold Glove finalists. Nolan Arnato's run of 10 straight gold gloves comes to an end. He is that. not a finalist for a gold glove. Neither is Paul Goldschmidt. Interesting. I think deserved. Yeah, I, I, was I say, don't think. I, would say I so. haven't seen so far. I, I don't think. So I bet I'm you Tommy Edmonds is going to be utility. Maybe. He probably deserves to be. Yeah. But so far, I. That would be the only one I would say you're going to get a Tommy Edmonds utility. If it's utility. not him, yeah, I don't think they're going to have a gold glove. Well, and Wilson Contreras behind the plate. Yeah, there's, there's nobody else. By the way, I saw that uh, Alejandro Kirk was a Gold Glove Award oh, uh, finalist. No, we got it wrong. The third baseman, for those curious that are nominated oh, in the National League, are uh, Austin Riley, Ryan McMahon, and Cabrian Hayes. I think those are deserved. Yeah. And at first base this year in the National League, Carlos Santana, Freddie Freeman, and Christian Walker. I don't know about Carlos Santana. <laughs> Carlos Santana got reasonable. there? Other two seem reasonable to That's me. impressive. All right, coming up next, Good let's dive into the juncture. We're here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, Brandon. I was looking at a list of the top 25 most iconic Disney characters. Oh my! Have you watched this new short on Disney Plus of like the hundred year anniversary of my Disney animation? My wife was watching it the other day as I was doing something, so I haven't actually sat down and watched it. But she said it was excellent. My daughters are obsessed with it. Like a t- I have a two year old and a one year old, and they will not move out of their spot watching it. But go on. So. What would you guess is at number one on this list? Mickey Most Mouse. iconic? Yeah, Mickey Mouse. Steamboat Willie, technically, but yes, Mickey and Minnie yeah, Mouse okay. is what they, they went here. with as the, the number one um, character. Yeah. What would you guess was number two on this list? I'm actually a little surprised by their choice. I, it is a Disney princess. I'll I was going to say it's got to be Elsa. Nope. Really? Well, they're going, I mean, it's, it's 100 years of Disney, yeah. so I they, they went... A little more old school than that. So I Cinderella would say Cinderella. Or Snow White. So I would have gone Cinderella as well. They did not have Cinderella. Sleeping Beauty? Mermaid? You had it right. It's Who? Snow White. Yeah, that Snow makes White sense. was number two on their list. Bambi three, Cinderella four. 
It makes sense, though, because Snow White won, like, their first award. Yeah. It was, like, the, the first real production that they put out there in terms of film. 1937. Yeah. Can you believe that? 1937 and, like, and still in the public consciousness in 2023. I was say, and the movie, like, still, like, just looks good now if you were to watch it. Well, they've remastered it. Well, like, I know that. If you watch the 1937 I mean, version, it doesn't. I, I mean, like, it's all... <laughs> Like, like they remastered it, buddy. I know that. But 1937 still, like, films aren't the same. Good, but I mean, like, I, I'm trying. I don't even really know what else I would say. Like, I don't know. Wizard of Oz still doesn't. To me, it just doesn't play as well. Did you watch the remastered the, version? The old Christmas movies where there's uh, what is it called? Stop, stop action. Claymation. Is that what you're thinking of? Like is that what Rudolph? It is? Yeah. Yeah, that's that claymation. Somebody yeah. I was thinking stop action. What so, the hell is that? I think it's the same thing. I think that's just is a it? way of filming. If you're yeah. looking more modern. Like, the most recent iconic character that's up on the top of this list is Buzz and Woody from Toy Story. I got to be honest with you. I Mike think and Sully, part of this list. But see, that's the that's the one thing. But they're not Disney, though. They're like Pixar. But they're it's Pixar. Owned by Disney. But I guess it's owned by Disney. Yeah. Is that- I would have Elsa up there above Snow White. Like, and I know it's 100 years, but you're talking iconic. I'm trying to say. They've got Hannah Montana, by the way, as one what of the, the, <laughs> hell? the characters on this. Uh, Elsa and Anna are part of this. Is uh, Lightning McQueen on there? Anna, excuse me. Jerk. Huh? Lightning McQueen on that list? Uh, he's he's got to be low okay, down. That I, sucked. I was curious just because, like, recently I've seen a lot of trends on social media about people who like Lightning McQueen uh, Crocs, and I don't fully understand it, so I was just curious if I was missing something. So Glad this, to know I'm not. You this, know what they have on this list that I would not include, and I loved the movie? Wally? Yes. Yeah, because it was trash. I loved what? the movie. I would not consider Wally to be a uh, iconic Really? Character. I think I would. I think it had such an really impact on yeah. people that. Did it? Well, I mean, you apparently think that the movie's incredible. I do. I love the movie. It's one of my favorite Disney well, movies. You or Pixar go. movies, whatever you want to classify it as. But I, I mean, like, if you go to Disney World, there's zero representation of Wally yeah. sitting around. I mean, there's there's not a lot of representation for some things too. Like, what was that movie about the emotions? You don't see any represent. Yeah, they're also not represented on um, the, the fact that you can't even well, I don't remember see that Hannah it was Montana there. walking around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's because she's not <laughs> Hannah Montana anymore. Stitch is on so, this list as well. Mulan. Somebody texted Stitches. in, and this is my kind of joke oh, right Stitch? here. Stitch. Yeah, Lilo and Stitch. She said stitches. I was like, Stitch who's that? is on here. Uh, Come on, man. Someone texted in, and this is my kind of joke. Broadcaster, punctuate better. They said, uh, "Where does Bambi's mom rank on this list? Six oh, feet under." That's just that's just cruel. <laughs> that's my kind of joke, right Don't there. Don't clap at that writer. Yeah. <laughs> my our executive producer was behind him. That's because that's our kind of humor. Uh, <laughs> Six feet under. Unbelievable. It is kind of wild. Like you know the backstory to every single previous Disney story. Parents died probably in a car wreck. Yeah. Or bad relationships. Well, you could just say car wreck. You just say wreck. Parents sure. died in a wreck. Sure. Boat wreck, car wreck, some type of wreck. It happened. But our, parents died. Yeah, parents died. Is our guy really uh, Matthew Rocky or Wreck-It Ralph a part of the list? No, is he Pixar? Oh, man. He if he doesn't Pixar, get it, he's right? going to wreck it. Or is Nemo? Uh, oh, yeah, Nemo not one. on here, actually. Dory. Dory. Yeah. Dory Dory's is more iconic than Nemo. Come on. No they shot. made a damn sequel about it because they realized like, we probably made the wrong movie. Uh, Captain Jack Sparrow? That that makes sense. A good one. He had like five of them. Makes yeah. sense. Did you know that the movie T Bone was made based on the ride at yes. Disney World? Did you know so that they probably? There you go. Did you know that they probably remastered the film and it's not the one it was back <laughs> in the haven't. early 2000s? They, they have not. I don't think they have. <laughs> Variety.com, the 25 most iconic.
Disney characters in the 100 years of Someone Disney. said Elsa is too new to be a Disney-level icon. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. sir. That's, like, part of the reason Disney's, like, still going strong was because of that film. Yeah, I mean, it's okay to include modern things in a list of the greatest ever. Where's Iron Man? That's the real question. Are you talking about the Iron Giant? It's Disney. That Marvel. A terrible yeah. film. Star Wars is Disney. <laughs> There's a lot that we could throw in it here. It wasn't Disney. Disney's like, let's buy this. <laughs> this, is, this is a good idea. That's one of the best moves they've made as a company. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Marvel and buying And buying Star Wars. when you bought it. Like, you bought it at the, like, once that first Iron Man was made, they're like, hey, we should probably get in on this. Yeah. It worked out very well for them. All right, coming up in about 30 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues. But coming up next, there's a report that came out on a player from Vancouver that may be dealt in the not too distant future. I don't think the Blues could make this work, but God, he would make a lot of sense for them right now. We'll tell you who that is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So there's some news around the NHL. Connor Garland has been in trade talks for, what, seven years, Alex? Yeah, pretty much since he was traded to Vancouver. (laughs) Basically since that moment. And he's a really good player, man. He's not anybody's definition of like a top-line winger or anything like that, but he's a really solid player that puts up, you know, 20, 25 goals per year on average. Alex, he's available. And he just switched representation. According to Kevin Weeks, Vancouver is willing to retain 30% of his salary. He's got three years left under his contract. When they retain three or 30% of that salary, it's about $3.5 million per year is what you're taking on. I don't think the Blues could make this happen because I'm not sure what they would be willing to offer or able to offer to Vancouver. But if you're Doug Armstrong, do you at least make a call? I think you have to. If you're doing the due diligence of your team, you make the call. But I think that call ends pretty quickly because if you're Vancouver, it's been stated Elliot Friedman I think had it on 32 thoughts that they want defense and they want cap space which is why they're trading away Connor Garland and if you're them you want defense in terms of somebody who can play in your top four to help them and the people you have on your roster either don't provide the cap space that Vancouver wants they have no trade clauses which good good job by you Or you got third pair or you got (laughs) I didn't need that (laughs) or you've got third pair defensemen so like you don't really have any options that like gets Vancouver excited. Now, if nobody else is calling up and willing to meet their ask, then maybe you can, but it's really unfortunate that they have Quinn Hughes because like Perunovic would be the guy that you would call and offer in a situation like this. But if you're Vancouver, do you really want a guy who hasn't shown the ability? A A, no. And B, especially not whenever he profiles to be your second power play guy behind Quinn Hughes. He just doesn't offer them a whole lot. I don't know what you would have to be able to offer them if we're just being totally candid. Um, I I would think like Marco Scandello would probably have to be in a deal like this just to make the money work. Yeah. And I don't know if he would or wouldn't um, give up his no trade clause. He's got a modified no trade. I I don't know if they're on his team. Which I was going to say, you got to have the 15 team. I think it's a seven. So, um, so like, here's the thing though. Like I look at their, their team and if they want defensemen, you've got Quinn Hughes and Ronick. That's her top pair. Like that's a good top pair. It's not great. Uh, they got Ian Cole playing on your second pair with Tyler Myers. They want a left-handed defenseman who could play in the top four. And uh, I mean, I I don't know. I don't even know if a Nick Letty would be desirable to them or if the blues would want to move Nick Letty, but like you got a no trade clause and you've got two more years at $4 million. Now it saves you money on the, on the Connor Garland side, but 
here's the problem. They don't have, or they don't want what you have, and you don't have what they want. But man, I love the idea of a Connor Garland. I mean, Joey calls him a water bug because he absolutely is. He's Jaden Schwartz-esque, where he's so tough to play against. You can't get the puck off of his stick. And he, he goes to the front of the net. He scores goals. But, I mean, to make $3.5 million work. You'd have to send Scandella. You'd have to send Scandella or send a forward the other way. But, again, welcome back to the no-trade clauses. Yeah, I, I do like the age. I think he fits into the, age, the age range that you're looking for. The money is not something that's going to hinder what you can do uh, in the future. It, it kind of reminds me of, like, the Kevin Hayes move, for example, where it's like, hey, we, we need a center, and we need a guy that kind of fits into what we're trying to build here. And we want him to be under a reasonable salary for not just this year, but for multiple years in the future. That would be what Carlin Gar- Connor Garland is in this situation. I j- I don't think that the Blues could make it work. I think this is something that I I don't think it's crazy to believe that he's going to end up in the Central. I just don't think oh, it's the, God, the I Blues think he's that'll end up doing. Going to go to the Nashville Predators. Like that's the team that wants offense. They want a forward. They want somebody who could play the right side, and that matches their identity. Uh, this it just sucks that it's happening right now because last year. Uh, I, the Blues might have pounced on this because they might have been able to to move on from certain guys that would have been willing to move on and over to Vancouver. But right now, it just you're in a spot where it just financially doesn't make sense. You probably have to move Sod in a deal like that, and I don't think that makes sense for the Blues. Like it, there's just nothing that you can do to yeah. really make this work. And Sod has a no trade clause anyway. So yeah. um, again, it's a fun idea. Good doesn't end up working out well for the Blues. The one other thing that I wanted to bring up briefly, Alex, as we're talking about the St. Louis Blues, and they, they've got a central divisional matchup tomorrow night. The central division so far has kind of gone as I think a lot of people locally expected. I think nationally there was some more expectations for a few of the other teams around the Blues. Colorado's been great. Uh, they're 3-0 and to start out the season. Minnesota is exactly who we thought they were 2-1 and to start out the year. Other than that, it's kind of gone topsy-turvy so far in this division, Alex. What have you seen around the Blues from teams like the Jets, Coyotes, Predators, and maybe even the Blackhawks? That the Blues are right in line with what Doug Armstrong hoped the season was going to be. Fighting for third place in the division and being in the top third of that middle tier that he talked about. And I mean, look, I know it's been only two games. I mean, Dallas has only played two games. You've played two games. But... Edmonton has played three games. I still think they're going to be great, but they're one and two. They've got goaltending issues. Uh, Calgary has not been anything to write home about. And then you just mentioned the Central Division. Winnipeg's been eh, no offense like we thought they were going to have. And Nashville, everybody was so excited about Nashville. Guys, you say Soros gave up six goals yesterday. Like if their hope was that the goaltending was going to lead them to the promised land, that's not going to be there. So I look at the standings. Man, their schedule has been brutal. It Tampa, has been. Boston, Edmonton, and Seattle to start the year. Yeah, My and God. I mean, you come back down to earth every once in a while, but like all of these teams that everybody was excited about and saying like, oh, they're going to push the Blues deeper and deeper into the West. I haven't seen it. I mean, Nashville looks like a team that's finishing where the, everyone's been projecting the Blues to finish. So this is good for St. Louis. Now, obviously, you need more offense because you can't keep playing this way. But all these other teams have the same issues that you had last year in terms of the defense has not looked pretty and the goaltending hasn't saved your bacon a couple of times. He's Alex. That's T-Bone. I'm BK. If you want to listen to blues versus coyotes, you'll hear that right here on 101 ESPN tomorrow night, pregame coverage with Alex and Joey Vitale beginning tomorrow at six o'clock. By the way, on Friday, the fast lane is going to be broadcasting live from two to six at the river city casino and hotel later that evening. There will be the inaugural blues warriors awards. It's taking place with 
dinner, drinks, awards, a live auction, and so much more. Jamie Rivers, Chris Kerber are going to be there. So will former Blues Reed Lowe, Cam Jansen, and Tony Twist. Tickets are available right now at 101ESPN.com. Those are supporting the Blues Warrior Hockey. Coming up next, what does it mean for the Cardinals to, quote-unquote, not mess it up this offseason? The Fastlane had some interesting thoughts on that yesterday. We'll get to it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK. So yesterday I was listening in my car to the fast land as I was going to pick up uh, baby Luca from daycare and Anthony Stalter and Jamie Rivers. I thought I had a really interesting conversation. I liked the way that they framed it. So often we say, what do we want the Cardinals to do? What should they do this offseason? There's also the other side of that, Alex. How do they mess it up? Like I think a lot of Cardinals fans are just sitting at home right now thinking to themselves, man, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but I know they're going to mess it up. <laughs> So what does it look like to not mess it up this offseason? Here's what Anthony Stalter had to say yesterday. I want to get your thoughts on this on the other side, Alex. Not messing it up would be having a backup plan. You didn't have a backup plan last year. The market apparently was too much for the Cardinals front office. They didn't see that coming. They didn't see some of the deals that other, other teams were willing to give players. Caught them off guard. And instead of acting, instead of reacting, they decided to do very little. Whether... Blake Snell or Aaron Nola signs somebody else. What is your backup plan? What does that look like? And correct me if I'm wrong. I felt like they did have a backup plan, and the backup plan was enacted. It was Wilson Contreras because the plan was to go get a catcher. You called about Sean Murphy. They wanted Donovan and Newbar, and you said that's too rich for my blood, so we'll go back to the free agent market. I'm with you. I think what he's talking about is on the pitching side. But, I think he's talking about your primary plan was going out there and getting, I think, Jose Quintana, and then the market was a little more hot on Quintana than what you were willing to give him, or maybe to go out there and get a Carlos Rodon, and then the market went in a different way right. than what you were expecting. So the market adjusted. They all were willing to spend more on pitching, and the Cardinals said, whoa, we don't do that. And I also feel like the Cardinals told themselves they didn't need a backup plan. They said, like, our pitching's good. Let's just see if we could go get somebody to make it better. That's where I came out on this. Yeah. My opinion on the matter is similar in that I think the Cardinals went into last offseason looking as looking at pitching as a want. And I think the difference is they go into this season looking at it as a need. When the Cardinals go into an offseason, and you can disagree with who they end up with, but when they go into an offseason with a need, they almost always fill it. Or at least what they view as a need. Even though on the outside, we want everything to be great, right? We want them to seal off the pitching staff with three future Hall of Famers. We want them to add seven different pieces to the lineup every offseason. It's just not feasible with their budget that they operate under. So for them, they view things as, okay, what is the best team we can construct based on our limitations this offseason? Last year, they viewed their one need as a catcher, and they went out and they filled that need with their backup plan, Alex, to your point. They wanted Sean Murphy. It ended up being an outlandish ask. They needed a pivot. They went down and they got Wilson Contreras. This offseason, I think the need is three starting pitchers, and the need is two relievers. And then it comes down to who do you get within that criteria. So the pivots for me, I, I think they're going to operate the same way that they did last offseason. If they can't get Aaron Ola or Blake Snell, they're probably going to have to pivot on a trade. 
for that top-end starter. I think they really want to add Sonny Gray. If they don't get Sonny Gray, maybe they re-explore conversations with Jordan Montgomery. Like, I think there's a lot of pivot points here where it's in similar price ranges. I mentioned this on Twitter the other day. I view this offseason as four different buckets that the Cardinals have to fill as a pitcher this offseason. The first one is a front-end starter. The second one is another relative front-end starter, but a guy that starts like a game two or three for you in a postseason series. The third bucket is a depth starter. And then the fourth bucket is two relievers. And I think once you come out with those four things filled up, you're fine. And you can end your offseason, and I think everybody will say, okay, maybe you wanted them to add a little bit more somewhere, but that's kind of the bare minimum necessity. And as long as they do that, I think that's how you don't screw it up. And I think the of how you don't screw it up or how do they, if they do mess this up, how do they mess it up is that third bucket. I, my fear is that they do, because I, I agree with what you said. Usually if they have a need, they do their version of filling the need. Sure. My fear, though, is that they're going to go from we need three starters to, well, Zach Thompson can become that guy. And look, he pitched well down the stretch, and that's why I'm happy to go into the season with him as the sixth starter. They've not typically been in a spot where they, because the whole issue with Quintana, too, was, well, how do you sell him on, hey, here's innings for you? Because we've already got a five-man rotation. How do you sell somebody to come in here on, hey, you are a starter? Great point. Well, how? I, I can look at your roster and go, you've got five starters. This year they don't have that case, and though Zach Thompson looks like a fifth starter, he's got options, and you can make him a minor league starter and then use him as depth. That's the bucket that I would say if they are going to mess this up, that's my concern is that they do the top two guys, they go out and they get the bullpen and go, uh-oh, yeah. we ran out of money, we got to stick with Zach Thompson, or uh-oh, we're not going to be willing to get a fifth starter on the trade market and we've ran out of money. That's the, my concern. I think the way they they mess this up is doing – what we're all concerned about is not it, the the market is too pricey via trade or free agency, and they look at it and say, ah, "Do we really need help?" That's how you mess it up, and I don't see them I, messing it up. Maybe I'm overly optimistic, guys. That's possible. I, I tend to do that with the Cardinals. I I get get excited, and I'm like, "Oh, look at all this talent they're going to acquire," and then they they don't, and then yeah, I would never my do heart. that. And then like three months later, singles. we get spring training. I'm like, "Oh, 95 wins! Here we go!" I understand that I can get out over my skis sometimes the way that Alex does with the Blues. What? But don't do that. I don't think that we're going to have a Charlie Brown with a football moment this off season. I think we're all setting ourselves up with I think reasonable expectations for what they have stated. I don't think they're going to go out and get Blake Snell and Aranola and Yamamoto. That's unreasonable. But I think they could get one of those guys or trade for Dylan C, Slogan Gilbert, one of those types of guys, and then add a Sonny Gray and then add a depth starter, the likes of which might be in, you know, uh, you mentioned Seth Lugo. Um, I've mentioned Tyler Malley, somebody like see, that. I, I agree with you. Like, I, I, I don't see I, I don't see a scenario in which they leave the offseason not getting a guy in that top tier, Nola Snell, Yamamoto, and a guy in that second tier. There's no scenario because they can't sell anything on like Agreed. unless oh, they make hey, a look. trade or or a trade. Yeah, that's true too. But whether they sign or but, trade for, they get somebody that's but in those buckets. I think the one spot where they can kind of pull the football out from us as we run up to kick it is that fifth starter because I think that they, I think it is viewed as a need, but I think they can convince themselves of if the market moves more than they were expecting and they know they are desperate for pitching and they give out more money to Nolan and they give out more money to Gray. Um, and, and then they have to sign two bullpen arms as well to where they get a little caught off guard in budgeting and go, oh, boy, we ran out of money. So if we squint, we can see Zach Thompson as that number five. And and look, that viewing a number five may not be the end of the world, 
But this team needs more depth in starting pitching, and that's why I say you still got to walk out of the offseason with that third starting pitcher. So I guess here would be the follow-up question that I would have as, as we talk about that third starter. What if that third starter is Michael Lorenzen? That, that fits the criteria that we're talking about? Yeah, I, I think as long as you get somebody else that you can bring in here and I can say, okay, I think I can pencil him in for... Seth Lugo fits under that criteria. Perfect number five. Matt Moore. I, he's a bullpen arm, but I wouldn't call him a starter. But So, no. Tyler Malley. I want someone that's ready to go on opening day. If you think he's going to be ready on opening day and you can convince yourself of that, What if sure. they say we think we can get 15 starts out of him next year? And I don't care about the opening day thing because as long as you got some type of plan in place... For Zach sure. Thompson, when I, it goes I can, wrong? I can listen to it. Okay. Because that's what I was curious about is, like, Colin McHugh. How do we feel about that? He's he, been an opener. I, I don't want an opener. Okay. I, I want a true starter. Okay. So that is the bare minimum threshold is you yes. have to get somebody that has proven and in the past been successful as a starter. Yes. Wade Miley. You yes. can do that and it'd be fine. Paxton, yes. Cool. Okay. Like that that that's the only bucket. Like I totally agree with you. I don't I don't see an offseason where they leave with only one top tier starter. But I can totally see where they decide to just kind of the something's gone awry, the market moved on them quicker than they were expecting. They don't make the trade, they do all signings, and then they go, We're out of money, we gotta squint and we squint and we see Thompson as the five. I don't think you can come into next season with that. Are they more likely, in your guys' opinion, to trade for a number one or trade for the fifth guy? I think the number one. They got the pieces for the number one. I think they're more likely to trade for the fifth guy. I think I'm kind of there with Because him. I think that's where they can move a Dylan Carlson or package like a Burleson or something like that together to get a five who could become like a two or a three, and they'll spend the assets, meaning money, on the number one. So I, I don't think oh, we get so many texts that basically say, stop talking about Aranola. They're not going to sign him, guys. I, I'm getting sick of seeing it, honestly. I don't think it's unreasonable to talk about him at all. Just like last year, it wasn't unreasonable to talk about the catcher that ended up being the most expensive catcher on the market in Wilson Contreras, who got one of the highest paid contracts in the history of the Cardinals organization. However, do you guys think it's being overly optimistic to believe that they could potentially sign Nola and Gray? The reason I ask is because whenever I've seen any reporting that has been done, and I'm not talking speculation, reporting firmly from Katie Wu, from John Denton, from Derek Gould, national guys, all of it is the Cardinals are interested in Sonny Gray and Aranola. There's typically no other names that are mentioned firm, hard, clear with facts that say they're interested in this person. There is they could also explore the markets for X, Y and Z. But Sonny Gray and Aranola are always mentioned as candidates for the Cardinals. Is it? too optimistic to believe that they could sign both this offseason i i don't think it's too optimistic i i am curious to know what the market ends up being for nola because that's that's the whole thing where i'm talking about of if it ends up they're saying like they're they're sitting in their war room right now that's how you get the a plus offseason right if you get both of them yeah if you do a, you got to add bullpen arms and you got to add a sure. fifth starter but yeah that's the start of the a plus offseason but I, I could see where they're sitting in their war room right now. Gershon is snorkeling gear. And, and they look at their budget board and they go, okay, we think we're going to be able to get Nola on this deal at X amount and Gray on this deal at X amount. And then Nola just becomes, there's such a bidding war that they go, well, we can't lose that guy. We gotta If we're going to get this A+, we got to get this guy. But you paid $10 million more per year than you were expecting. And then it goes to, okay, now how do we adjust from there? That's my whole, like, I don't know how they react. I don't know if it is, how loose is the budget to where we can go over 
we're setting the budget at X amount, we can go over by 10 mil. Or is it, hey, it's written in pen, you cannot go past this. Because if it's written in pen, you can't go past this, that's when I think it's it's not unreasonable to think that they can get both. But I think that's where the equation can change this offseason. I just, the more I look at this, I, I, I view the Cardinals in a position that the only way you can mess this up is when you sit in that war room once free agency opens and says, and say, this is too much for us. If those words come out of anybody's mouth, then yeah, you messed up the offseason. Because frankly, you're in a position right now, you've, you're, you've put all of your eggs in the Arenado and Goldschmidt basket. You've got the young players in place. You can't justify any scenario where the offseason happens and you say, oh, we can't pay this much money for a starting pitcher. That that statement is true if you've developed the proper guys in your system. And we just saw this season that you didn't. So for this Cardinals team, you, it, you're really going to have to. I know we joke all the time about it, but you really are going to have to open up the wallet. Because the only way you mess this up is you say, we can't afford this. Let's go to the next tier. I think the ideal offseason that I've landed on is NOLA. Gray, and this would require you probably to give out extra years to NOLA. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it helps you allow the flexibility payroll-wise to get him in uh, along with Sonny Gray for this upcoming year. NOLA, Gray is your top two starters. Trade for a guy like Edward Cabrera. That could be Brian Wu. could be a number of different arms, but a young upside pitcher that can come in and be your number five starter to start out the season and has the potential to be a three starter by the end of the year. And then you end up trading for two bullpen arms. Or, or signing cheap bullpen arms because you don't have a whole lot of money left over to to spend in this scenario. I think that would be for me the A plus offseason. And then you add in Yadier Molina coming in as the as a coach for you, maybe adding uh, Izzy or Chris Carpenter to the coaching staff as well. Now we're talking. Now we're talking about a team next year that can go into the season and legitimately compete for a championship. For Alex and T Bone, I'm BK. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bring out the Zamboni! It's time for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi electric elite contractor. news to pass along we mentioned earlier nolan arenado and paul goldschmidt not up for gold glove awards this year they did not make the finalist list at first or third third base respectively however the national league utility gold glove was given to brendan donovan last year tommy edmund is a nominee along with ha sung kim and Mookie yeah, Betts. I was going to say, we know who's winning this, this right? Year. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think Mookie Betts is going to get this. I think Tommy Edmond is more than deserving, but when Mookie Betts is on a list yeah. like that, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Tommy. It was it, a nice try. You earned it. I don't think you're going to be able to get it. All right, let's go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend, the voice of the blues. He's Chris Kerber joining us as he does each and every Wednesday. Kerbs, how are you doing today, man? Brandon, doing well. How are you? Uh, doing all right. So let's start kind of big picture with the Blues. We're two games in, Curbs. It's an incredibly small sample size. I hate this schedule. Way too many days <laughs> off early on in the season. What have you learned about this team through two games? Well, I've learned that the business-like approach and commitment to detail in training camp has paid dividends already through two games. And, you know, I, I think I said this earlier on the Rizzuto show this morning, but you can find out real quick whether your buddies are a glasses half full or glasses half empty kind of person because you could look at the season and go, well, they haven't had a lead, you know, and there's this and there's that. They've given up a lot of shots. 
or you can look at it and go, they haven't had a lead and have still picked up three out of possible four points. You know, so how, how this all will shake out, I don't know, but the attention to detail and the commitment to defend in the defensive zone, especially the front of the net, has been very evident early on. That's a good trend that I think will continue to trend well. Yeah, I work eleven to two with two guys that the glass or the uh, glass is always half empty. Curves. It's a uh, just a pessimistic <laughs> workplace these days, but that's fine. Oh. I'll be the glass half full kind of guy. Uh, on the offensive side, though, curves. I know uh, Bruby mentioned this yesterday after practice. Talked a little bit about kind of you know the focus has been on the defensive side of the game, and they are working on getting more of the shots. But he really talked about the offense. The biggest emphasis is on the power play, and he said, like, for our offense to get going, it's capitalizing on these power play opportunities. Well, yeah, that, that, that's a big thing. Look, you've had eight power plays, and in those eight power plays, that's 12 minutes and 48 seconds of power play time. And not only do you not have a goal, you have two shots on goal. So clearly, clearly the power play is an issue. And look, maybe it's a righty-lefty thing. Maybe there's, maybe it's where the righties are and the lefties are, you know, on the wing. And, and, how, and, and believe it or not, though, I mean, those things – you know, when you break down something like the power play and you look at a lefty pass into a righty shot and things like that, whether a player has to receive the puck on the backhand or a forehand could really dictate what are considered, you know, really threats in the slot on the power play or things like that. And it can, it can make a difference for you. So they're continuing to sort that out. The loss of, uh, of Pavel Butchnevich for at least a game is, is, is going to dictate some other changes. But, yes, you have to be able to win some games especially close games, which I think is where the Blues are going to be for the majority of the season. You have to be able to win some games on special teams, and a power play is a big part of that. Curbs, the five-on-five offense is something that we have discussed a little bit, and it's we're not like freaking out. There's no panic mode. It, it's two games into the season. It's way too early for anything like that. However, I'm curious, do, do you think the new system defensively and the fact that maybe there's some thinking going on and there are changes, obviously, in the way that they're playing right now, do you expect that to get better over time because the system becomes more second nature or is this what you expect the offense to kind of look like this season? No, I, I think, I think Brandon, it's too early to tell. I, I think it's too early to handicap that okay. uh, b- because of exactly what you said. I think that, and Craig Berube addressed it as well. There's been such a good focus on the, on the, the defensive side of things that yeah. You're going to sacrifice some offense, especially in the early going. But I look at the offensive threats and weapons that the Blues have, and, you know, honestly, if, if they get a couple of these chances that they've had on net and they put a few of these things, you know, to the back of the net, uh, we're, we're probably not even asking that question yet. You're talking about a couple of 3-1 victories. But, but unfortunately, concerned yet because they are getting chances. They're just missing the net a lot. With that offense, then, Curbs, the the decision to kind of shift the lines around because of Buchnevich's injury, Saad moving up with Thomas and Kyru makes sense because they are familiar with each other. But Toropchenko moving up, that seems to be more of a Craig Berube rewarding the player for how he's played than best line options. Am I am I correct with that? Uh, well, I don't look, listen. I, I do think that you know. I, I do think that uh, that that. It's a great question. I, like, how do, how do you define best line options? Because one, one thing when you make a line change that you've got to keep in mind is it's not as easy as just saying we're going to move, say, Jake Neighbors up there. Because Craig Berube may really be liking the way Neighbors is working with Oscar Sundquist on that conscience line, right? So part of it, part of it could be that. 
part of it could be, listen, Jake's coming along well. We don't need to push him up the lineup just yet. The, the opportunity, the chances are, are going to, the chances are going to get there. And, uh, um, and, and you look at it like that. I think the speed of Torovchenko, uh, his hard work on the defensive side of it and the physicality is something that Craig Berube's looking at right now that could add a little bit more zone time to that line. And I think that's more along the lines of it, uh, a combination of all those versus just one guy is better than the next. All right, Curbs, final question that I've got for you. We're two games in, again, small sample size. I, I get all of that disclaimers. Um, outside of Jordan Bennington, who's obviously been spectacular so far this year, who's somebody that has stood out to you in a positive way compared to what you were expecting out of them? Uh, let's see. Uh, outside of outside of Jordan Bennington. Um, you know what? I, I think... I think Jordan Cairo has been uh, has been terrific through two games. I, I thought his back checking, his hard work, he's had some scoring chances. I think I think putting all that together, uh, especially in that last game, has been really good. So um, I, I know the offense hasn't been there yet from him in any way, but I think I think his speed has been evident, his engagement has been evident, and uh, and I I think he's had a good couple of games. He's Chris Kerber, a voice of the Blues. You'll hear him on the call for Blues versus Coyotes tomorrow night. Pre-game with Alex and Joe tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Kerbs will have the call beginning at 7. Kerbs, we appreciate the time, man. Enjoy yourself tomorrow night. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys. Have an awesome week. So you got this Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we'll have the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, I'd say today was a good one. You can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. You can always watch us on YouTube. 101 ESPN STL is where you go to find us there. Our YouTube studio cams are presented by the Air Alliance team. Yeah, right. go check out T-Bone's mustache. It's coming yeah, in. Can it you tell? Is. It's, uh, it's coming in nicely. Alex is getting rid of his this week. Yeah. Me too. Are you doing it tonight or tomorrow? No, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to get rid no, of it Friday morning. No. I gotta. We got a deposition that I got to do, and I'm I want to look with professional. for three more weeks. Well, the good news is three though, more weeks of... Uh, of oh. the mustachios. Uh, the good, the good news is, <laughs> <He said> good. <laughs> the good news is, my mustache will grow back before Tanner actually yeah, has no, a mustache. Can you shave yours tonight so I, I can like T-Bone keep mine and keep feel going? Good. No. I do too. T-Bone's I like, think it looks all right, man. Yeah, I don't want to be not so professional. It's not connecting. It's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> give it time. Permanent let's, marker, man. Give it two more everything. weeks and let's see if it ends up coming in there. Yeah, you got to do it. I gotta go do some professional stuff. Nobody cares stuff. at the high school football game that you're no, gonna no. go call. Hey, I'm gonna be honest with you; they ain't gonna see it. They ain't gonna see it. That's true. So yeah, BK has been lying to me this whole time. No, no you I, can see it, but no. Yeah, it looks good <laughs> behind, well. behind the scenes when I'm not there. Dude, it's not like you look like you, you got a five o'clock up. shadow. Like you don't look like a bum. <laughs> you look like you can't grow facial Man, hair. After this segment, I definitely feel like. When I leave the office, BK's always pump me up, dude. It looks good. It's coming in. I leave the office. That guy's got to give up. 
I tell him the same thing about his mustache. Fair enough. He looks Fair like enough. the plumber that came out last week to get the little bit Barbie doll out of my toilet. Luigi. Okay. It's a me, so, a Mario. Let's get into Aaron Nola for the final time today. today. Don't worry, guys. We're going to have at least tomorrow. 30 more Nola segments before they sign him this offseason. No days uh, off. Told us never going to happen. Alex, I think all of us agree. Let, let's, on the count of three, would you sign Aaron Nola this offseason if you were John Mosellock? All right. One, two, three. Hell yes. yes. Okay. We're all in agreement. Nola should be a target for the Cardinals. The question is really how much are you willing to give him? Because of course they should sign him, but like it, that's not, it's not a binary response, yes or no, to signing him. It becomes a question of, okay, for, for what? If Nola ends up getting what he's asking for from the Phillies, which was reportedly, according to Bob Nightingale, eight years, $200 million, you willing to do that? Because then the conversation shifts quite a bit. Alex, my answer would probably be yes. Now, I'm not sure he's going to get that much money, but if that's where the market takes him, let's assume that, and the Cardinals should have to match the offer for him to come here instead of going to, I don't know, L.A., whatever, I would do it. Because that eight-year, $200 million contract means I'm giving him 25 a year. I've still got another, hopefully, 20 to $25 million to play with this offseason. And this scenario, it's not outlandish to believe they could get Nola and Sonny Gray. And now your front end of the rotation is locked in for the next few years. And I feel pretty damn good about it. The years scare the hell out of me. But I'm going to have to give him $200 million no matter what in this scenario. So would I rather give it over six and not be able to get that stud number two starter or give it over eight and be able to add that number two starter in? I'm taking the latter. I think before you go down the path of sitting there with Aaron Nola as a Cardinals staff, you have to ask yourself, are we comfortable trading away a Nolan Gorman to get ourselves a better pitcher than Aaron Nola? Because if you are, well, maybe you explore that because it's going to be cheaper and you could do more in free agency in terms of multiple pitchers. But if you're not, which I would imagine the Cardinals don't want to move on from him, then you need to suck it up, whatever it's going to be for Aaron Nola. And if it's eight years to where I'm only paying $25 million, maybe less than that, to bring him here, yeah, I, I again, this is the mentality from a lot of teams around Major League Baseball. It's going to suck and look awful in the last couple of years of this contract, but the first few years of it, it is going to be a great deal for us, and that's what the Cardinals need to go into this offseason mindset-wise. If he's a, if he wants $200 million, the Cardinals need to wait until that market comes down. He's not a $200 million pitcher. The market's not coming down. But I, think could, I don't think he's getting $200 million. Let, Let's assume, though, like let's go down this hypothetical path together that the Dodgers have offered him $200 million and he would rather He's play in St. Louis. But let's say you would rather play in St. Louis and you are, you're you given the opportunity to be able to match the offer to sign Aaron Nola. You're, you're saying no. No. It, then what's your other, what, you, what's your other path? They got to pivot then and they got to go to the trade market. And I'm willing to do that because as much – he's not a $200 million pitcher. Think of guys who got $200 million contracts. Forget the years. Talk about the money. Sure. We're talking to Max Scherzer, a Garrett Cole. He's not those guys. And I'm talking prime Max Scherzer. I'm not talking Max Scherzer now. He's not those guys. He's good. He's like a $160, $175 million pitcher. That I'm willing to do. 180 even. $200 million, you're overpaying. And though you are desperate for starting pitching, you should not overpay starting pitching on the market. You still need to be you need to adjust your model and get up to be willing to pay a guy $24 million a year, but you can't give him $200 million. Are you gonna worry you're gonna overpay to get pitching with your trades though? No, because like I think like as as scared as they are that they could be trading away Nolan Gorman, who could become a Kyle Schwarber. 
he may never become a Kyle Schwarber. They could be holding on to an asset that doesn't end up panning out. So I'm willing to give that. I'm willing to trade a Gorman. Though I don't want to, I'm willing to do it to go get a Dylan Cease. I think the comp no, is Cole not Ham- Dylan Cease. We'll talk about this tomorrow. I think the comp is Cole Hamels. We'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll discuss what that means Cut it off, Tanner. for Aaron Nola. we got to get to the fast line. I want the guys to get in late. They've got Craig Berube coming up at 2.30. So from 2 to 6, you got the fast line. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.